Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 111. I'm Brentley. I'm Dan. And before we get into it today, we just want to remind everyone to like, comment, subscribe, share the show with your friends, uh, give us your money if you want. There's donation links in the description. And we thank you so much for your attention and your patronage. We really appreciate all of our listeners. Yes, very much. Very and much. I don't get to say that often enough. And with all that said, uh, today we have a special guest. We have Mr. Theo Jordan. Theo is a prolific Twitterer who I've been following for quite some time. We are very aligned in values-wise. Uh, Theo is a based dad down in the great state of Florida. Sunshine state. The sunshine state, exactly. And he's got uh, he's got a lot of things to say. He's got a, His threads are amazing. If you don't follow Theo on Twitter, um, you most certainly should. You are missing out. Yes. I will pull Theo underscore TJ underscore Jordan. You'll find him there. But Theo, thanks for joining us. We very much appreciate it, sir. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, I'm thrilled to be here. I've been following you guys and your hustle on Twitter as well, and I've always found you to not only be intelligent voices, but really important ones. So I appreciate the fact you're willing Stop to share it. your floor with Stop me. Stop it. Once in a while, we'll like you know we'll just shit post. Right? <laughs> hey, those are needed too, man. Those are important too. But yeah, so I I think Brent and I stumbled upon you back in 2020 when around when the COVID stuff was happening in the lockdowns and we didn't actually kick the show off until April of 2021. But shortly before then, uh, I got back onto Twitter. I know he was on Twitter for a while. I wasn't, I stopped using it for a couple years, but once we decided to do the podcast and all of that and speak out more, I was like, all right, let me jump back on here. Cause this is where all the discourse is happening. And yeah, your account was one of the first ones uh, we stumbled upon and who was very outspoken about the lockdowns and the mandates and the ridiculousness of the uh, trademark, the science. Absolutely. And we very much appreciated that. And since then we've networked and found a whole lot of other base people. And, and we'll get into some of that stuff and why you decided to say something. But before we do, I guess, you know, we'll do a bit of backstory as much as you want to give, because as our viewers will see who are watching and not listening, Theo is uh, appearing Anon right here. Sans face. He's not yeah. sure. That's not the first time. That's fine. That's some normal. That's, yeah. that's normal operational security. We've had a couple guests who've done that before, and that's fine. We'll respect the Anon, but um, I appreciate that. We we still sadly operate in a climate yeah. where you know a horde of losers in their mom's basement can get online and wreck chaos yeah. into people's personal and professional lives. And I work yes. in a field that it just ain't worth it. So it's sad that that's where we are, but that's where we are. Yeah. Well, you do what you can with what you have, and you're making the best of it and you're still, you know, saying the stuff that needs to be said and it's getting around there and we need that, you know, regardless. I love your profile picture. Is it was like a supernova or something. It like, is, it yeah. is. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I slapped my, I, I hadn't, I had stayed away from social media my whole life. And then this week in November, 2020, I just finally felt driven. I was like, I, I have to, I have to jump into this fray. And I whipped the bio together in like two minutes, just pulled a picture here, type something up, do this in here. And I just never went back and changed it. And now it's it's become retro to me. I don't want to ever change it. So yeah, yeah. it's a supernova. I'm obsessed with the cosmos. It's your, call, it's your calling card now. You kind of have to leave. It is how we recognize you on Twitter as well. It's like, oh, yeah, that's Theo's account. That's right. Stuff. When people change bio pictures, it can really throw you for a curveball. I've gone days interacting with people and not appreciated who I was interacting with because they biopic changed on me. Yeah. 
so funny. So, <laughs> yeah, tell, tell, tell us a bit about yourself as much as you want to tell. So mm -hmm. you're in Florida. Um, were you born in Florida? Are you from there? And, you know, where did you study, et cetera, et cetera? Sure, absolutely. So I was a base brat. Uh, my father was a lieutenant colonel in the Army. I was born on a military base up in New Jersey. By hey. the time Hey, so I got some familiarity with the Dirty Jers. In fact, I would end up living later in life in a uh, small town in New Jersey called Wyckoff. Ever heard of Wyckoff? I have heard of Wyckoff. I don't know if I've been there, though. I'm from Elizabeth, so I'm not from a small town. I'm from, like, the city. Yeah, yeah. The mayor would uh, very painfully drop the line, Wyckoff, when you can sneeze at public events. It was a strange town. But, but anyhow, so I had lived seven times, uh, seven places by the time I was in fifth grade or sixth grade mm -hmm. when I finally settled down in D.C., and at the time, I didn't appreciate that there was anything um, abnormal or unique about that. Then I would later meet my girlfriend in college, who's now my wife, and she left for college in the same house she was born. And wow. I've now come to realize that's probably a more normal experience than moving seven times before middle school. Uh, but I'm actually really thankful for that. I think the experience of having to be pulled out of environments, go into new ones, and sort of recreate yourself and find your space in different spaces over and over as a kid as tough as it may be, I think it really strengthens you. Uh, and I think that's, I credit that largely to why I'm such a people person and I, I don't have a lot of discomfort going into new environments, public speaking, that kind of thing. I, I think those help settle the nerves a lot. Um, uh, my, my grandma was the same, but she was not a people person. <laughs> so yeah. She <laughs> didn't work lot, out that way. But she was moved around a lot too when she was very young and didn't live in the same place for, you know, a long period of time either. And she was yeah. also a child, so it was kind of a, difficult experience for her because yeah, it's, a, it's a plus and have best friends and all that stuff like exactly exactly it's a plus and minus it's real hard to take a kid out of their school their house their comfort zone their friends and all that like i kicked and screamed on every move but looking yeah. back i'm i'm thankful for the process um so i ended up in in the dc area uh northern virginia and that's where i spent my my formative teenage years and it was a great place to grow up i don't know how if you all are familiar with northern virginia it's a it's a strange environment um it was, in essence, the suburbs created for politicians who worked in D.C. but didn't want to live in D.C. That was sort of its origin story. And so there was a lot of money out in northern Virginia. And then it, um, there was just an, an odd kind of combination of forces that occurred out there. And there was a massive population growth. There was a huge governmental push of Section 8 housing um, into all the different areas uh, for reasons that I think are relatively obvious. Uh, but that that ended up in a strange dynamic where you had these pockets of, you had a lot of wealth in the area. I mean, it wasn't all wealthy, but there's a lot of wealth in Northern Virginia, much more so today. And then you had these pockets of true poverty and they were really dispersed all throughout Northern Virginia. And in the nineties, this created, it was sort of like dry tender for a very strange environment. This is during the rise of hip hop, where with help of Snoop and Dre, the hip hop world pushed into the suburbs. I was wrapped up in all that. I spent um, four or five years convinced I was Tupac and sort of living like an idiot um, when I shouldn't have been. But um, it, we had massive gang activity in that area. There were 110 registered gangs in Fairfax County when I went to college wow. there. And it's not the type of area you would think there would be a lot of gang activities. You know, this yes. isn't Compton. Um, and it was your real deal gangs, you know, it was Latin Kings and real deal gangs and a lot of smaller ones that had formed. And my friends and I, uh, wonderful people, we just got wrapped up in a lot of dumb shit, um, doing stuff that we shouldn't have been involved in. And I got in a lot of trouble and we were just, I felt like I wasn't headed in a positive direction where I was and needed to kind of really reinvent myself. And so I left DC and everybody I knew in life to go to school at the university of Miami. Uh, and I remember when 
my folks dropped me off, spent like a week, you know, helped me move in and stuff. And I remember watching their car pull away from the street by the dorms in Coral Gables. And as I watched their car disappear on the horizon, I thought, holy shit, man, I don't know a single person within about 1,500 miles of where I am. Like, there was no relative up the street, no friend downtown Miami. Like, I was truly on my own. And I'm very thankful for that experience because it was the reinvention that I needed. Uh, and I look back on it, and it's almost like I've lived two lives. There was the DC me, and there was the post-DC me, and they're very different people. Um, so that's sort of the, the background story of how I ended up in Florida. Uh, that's in the mid to late 90s when I moved down here. And then I graduated right at the turn of the millennium. I was a IT major, uh, grew up on computers. I was a computer nerd growing up, ran bulletin boards, watched the internet form out of nowhere, and kind of just went into a computer major because I assumed in the 90s, everybody's get rich on computers. I'm good on computers, so why wouldn't I do that? But it was very naive and ignorant thinking because your typical computer job, you sit in a cubicle and you hammer code all day, duh. And that doesn't fit my skill sets well at all. So you need a certain temperament for that sort of work for sure. You do. Yeah, you do. You know, it's a Dilbert breed that does very well in the IT world. Um, so it was kind of this like weird combination of, okay, I'm not sure these careers are what I want to do. Parents' worst nightmare. You should probably think that out as a freshman instead of a graduated senior. Um, and then, and then the IT bubble burst, you know, I graduated in 2001, May 20 or 2001. So it's right as the IT bubble is bursting. So, I'm going to job fairs and there are lines dozens long of people with decades of experience in the IT field trying to get the entry level job I'm there for. And it was sort of enough to make me realize this ain't it. Like, I don't want to be in computers. So without boring you with, with much of the history, the sort of stepping stones from there where I stumbled into public school, or I'm not public school, private school teaching. I was a middle school math and science teacher for a few years. My wife's an educator. And um, that was cool. I'd be teaching today if you could make good money, but you can't. So I eventually left for that reason, did some sales, and then sort of had a midlife crisis and decided to go to law school and follow my, follow my father's steps. And so that's where I am. Now we're up in Northeast Florida, kind of near the St. Augustine area. Uh, I practice law down here. And then in 2020, I really created this digital side of myself and have plunged into these, I hate the term, but I guess culture wars, culture. really not out of desire, but more out of necessity. And I guess that brings us to today. Yeah, I think out of necessity is, is a good way to put it. Like, we didn't plan on, on doing this either. The universe just kind of put us in this position where it's like, all right, are you going to say something or are you not going to say something? Because some very drastic, serious things were happening to the world and in society that very much not only pulled the rug out from under a lot of us, but um, altered society pretty, pretty severely. Um, and it's just how, how could anyone who has a conscience and a loud mouth like us just sit back and allow it to happen? So we were like, no, we're, we're going to say something pretty loudly. And we got louder and louder as time I'm, went on. I'm glad you have. I've shared this story before, uh, and I know it's kind of a corny story, but it, it, I would frame it and put it on my wall. Uh, in 2020, when, excuse me, I was watching the world melt down around us. And more importantly, I was watching our populace get lied to. Our, mm -hmm. our people were not operating with a correct hand of information to make the decisions they were making. That was really my driving reason to come in. It's like, I got to help change that. I got to do what I can to help change that. But anyhow, in 2020, during uh, protests, COVID lockdown protests, who knows, could have been race-based, could have been COVID-based. You know, there were multiple insanities going on at once during that time. But uh, this dad shows up at a protest and he's holding a sign that says, I had to be able to tell my kids I did something. 
Yes. And, I, and again, I know it's kind of corny, but I was so moved by that sign. And in all honesty, that's sort of my, my mantra to this day. It's like, I have to be able to tell my kids I did something because I truly believe we're living through a historic moment. And I don't think enough people appreciate the magnitude of what we're going through. This ain't Twitter stuff and it's not culture war stuff. I think we are truly going through a historic moment in time that history oh, books will talk about. Absolutely. Everything from the lockdowns to the summer of riots and protests mm -hmm. to the gender ideology craze that just got worse when you confined an entire generation inside to George to, Soros to, taking over all the DA's offices. January 6th. January and now, 6th. And now, you know, Trump's indictment and all of that. Like Absolutely. Censorship, I, globalism apparatus, oh yeah. climate agenda. I mean, everything's kind it's of coming together. together. Un, a lot of unprecedented things occurred within the last two to three years. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people don't quite appreciate the magnitude of the historical impact of everything that just occurred and is still occurring because we're in the middle of the effects of all of that. Well, stuff. well said. And, and that's a big point of frustration for mine right now. I think it's half ignorance and naivety. And the other side of the coin is maliciousness. It's a suppressive effort to try to get away from these issues because a lot of these issues for the American left to become concrete shoes, the COVID response, yeah. the gender spirits, the race craft, they're not getting out from under those. So the thing they got to do is run away from them. And, and I'm bumping in so much now into this, this, I would almost call it like a propaganda campaign of, you know, what they call it culture war stuff. Oh, it's just culture mm -hmm. war stuff. Those Republicans and their culture war stuff. Yeah. And I find that so frustrating because yeah. If you're ignorant, naive, and you just think this is stuff only Twitter people care about, that's maddening because you're really asleep at the wheel while some big, really bad things are happening. But I'm not sure how large of a segment that applies to. I think there's a lot more people that realize these things are going to sink us. So we better get back to talking about Trump, something else that's going to take the, the, the attention away. It's like throwing newspaper over the dog shit, right? But the thing <laughs> is, it's not Twitter stuff, man. I mean, DEI's taken over the public sphere. ESG's taken over the private sphere. Gender ideology is being mainstreamed and added to Title IX. Admiral Levine saying we need to teach it to all kids and drill it into medical. It's like these people who want to just hand wave this all away as, as culture war stuff are either really bad actors or grossly naive. And in either direction, I find it really dangerous because what it's really doing is suppressing us addressing these critical fronts. So was there a like a watershed moment for you, a moment where that really put you over the edge and you were like, all right, I, this is now the, the time when I have to speak out. And start yeah, you know, there was. Um, and, I, and I wrote a long thread one time about January 5th, 2020 being that moment. But I'd actually say that was moment number two. January 5th, very briefly, was the time that the uh, 1100 in the epidemiology field, including many epidemiologists. So these are our top experts during a pandemic during the COVID craze, where we we're all told to trust the science and listen to the experts and this, that, and the other. These are literally like the best of the best experts in this field. And they come out and they sign that letter, what they call the open letter, saying that Black Lives Matter protests were not only allowable, but they served public health. And that's the key to it, right? Because it's one thing to just be like, hey, I think this cause is great and righteous. Go Black Lives Matter. You guys should go do it. That's stupid coming from experts in the field. That goes to show how captured the field is. But when you spin it the other way, and anyone listening to this who hasn't read that letter, you need to go read that letter. It's jaw-dropping. When they, when they package it as these protests serve the interest of public health, and they, they spend a long time or like analyzing that, like, hey, COVID's got some concerns, people are dying, but here are the concerns of historic racism and white supremacy, and they are much greater. And 
This was freaking seven days, if even, coming out of the, the freedom protest up in Michigan or Minnesota, where some largely conservatives, because for whatever reason, a public health issue cut down political lines cleanly, revealing to you that it was largely pretextual. But these people show up to protest for their freedom being restricted unfairly, and they're called monsters and white nationalists and terrorists. But a week later, the Black Lives Matter protesters are not only righteous, they are serving public health. So that was so sort of the moment when I realized what we were up against. Um, I naively, ignorantly, uh, lived most of my life falsely believing our government, even our media to some extent, was looking out for our own interests. The, the bad coverage was more about if it bleeds, it leads, they just want clicks, more of a business thing. I had no appreciation for how poignant and real the deep state is, how we have apparatuses of our government that are actively working against sitting presidents, like our, in, uh, you know, our IC and NATSAC, working against Donald Trump, why he's in office to try to remove him. I didn't appreciate the level of corruption within America like I should have. And I think that largely comes through being a base brat, being the son of the lieutenant colonel in the army. I, I truly bled red, white, and blue up through yeah. 2019. Brad, uh, and uh, kind of had the opposite experience. We really? were always, oh, we were always the authority questioning types, yeah. looking deeply into finding the connections of what's going on and figuring right off the get-go, there's always something happening behind the scenes and that usually the people in power don't have the best interests of people at heart. So, I was like an old school liberal. I yeah. went to protest George W. Bush. I was in, uh, I was at American University from uh, 2001 to 2005. And we made a regular habit of going down and protesting George Bush and whatever, you know, the, the new, the new war, the new aggression. Yeah. yeah. We were down there with all the leftists. Like, hanging from, out. I, I call myself a liberal. I thought I was liberal. From the Absolutely. beginning, though, of the lockdowns and all of this, right away, we had questions. We're like, yeah. this isn't going to last two weeks. They're going to drag this on. And, and they did. You know, it yeah. wasn't stuff we wanted to be correct about necessarily. Obviously, who wants to be right about that shit? But we were immediately like, yeah, no, guys, they're they're lying to all of yeah. us. You know, I'm almost embarrassed of my past that, you know, for example, let's go back to the Bush era. I was sold that the Iraq war was a good thing. I mean, I will own that. I was on the other side. I mean, I was properly propagandized, right? And um, it's just sort of scary that I was living that naive. And I was always a question the authority type too. Yeah. Insofar as like as a teen, I struggled with authority. I always had this issue with authority, but yet for some reason I gave such fealty to our government, our military, our FBI and all that. Well, what's, what's scary is you're, you're obviously a very intelligent, smart person. And it goes to show that lots of very intelligent, smart people can be fooled, can be taken in by sophisticated propaganda. And the propaganda is sophisticated and they yeah, bombard yeah. you with it 24 seven. So. Exactly. Exactly. We saw that in COVID, right? With all oh, these yeah. doctors and experts to this day who are still pushing just overt medical misinformation and they think it's righteous. And, you know, it's hard to figure yeah, out how many of them are doing that intentionally. And how yeah. Many then flipping it and, and they call the truth, the actual misinformation, misinformation and that's sophisticated. Ah. It's like anyone who's sounding an alarm was asking questions. Oh, they, they label you all these things, you know, or if you don't believe the death count yeah. or if you yeah. question, yeah. The, and then they, the censor. they push you aside, they kick you off of the, you know, 
major platforms where all the discourse is happening. Yeah, and we still have that we still have that push so hard on us, yep. these these constant words of disinformation, mm-hmm. mal, miss, and disinformation. And we still have all these pleas to give the government more power to censor truth, knowledge, what we're allowed to say, speak and read and all that crap. And it's unbelievable because look at the receipts. I mean, look at yeah. all of their lies. Like They're why is yours <laughs> exactly why is your disinformation not disinformation, but ours is when a lot of ours turned out to be the truth. It goes back to moral racism, right? When we see these people broadcasting overt racism, but it's it's labeled as righteous because it serves the leftist cause. It's the yeah, same yeah. thing here. It's moral disinformation. Like, dude, the, the piece I have on my Substack that's called, uh, that has Andy Slavitt in the title. Um, and it's really taken a look at one of those first Twitter files where Andy Slavitt's having open conversations with, with Yoel and members of Twitter, and they're starting a new campaign to, quote, reduce vaccine, act, um, vaccine hesitancy. And they openly discuss that this is going to include the censoring of truthful information. And they're like, yeah, we need to do that because we need to get these shots in people. Like, hello, if the information is going to lead to us not taking the shots, then maybe we shouldn't be taking the shots. The solution can't be, well, we'll just make sure you don't hear that information. Meanwhile, you're going to read a study on CNN that says experts and scientists have shown vaccinating for COVID-19 reduces death across all categories. It vaccinates against death itself. Like that's being broadcast on CNN. It's just a terrifying concept. It truly is an Orwell novel. I mean, we are living through one way. Very 1984. Yes, very, very, I mean, two plus two equals five has exactly a literal meme yeah. now. Yeah. And that was, or maybe was that Brave New World? Or was that? No, that, that's, that was 1984, that's 1984 at the end yeah, where, where the he end, like yeah. believes it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's it, one of the most important statements of our time is two plus two equals five, because it sums up the insanity of this Orwellian environment we've been forced onto. But it's important to recognize popular science gave like one of the top math awards to Kareem Carr either last year or the year before. And what for? For his doctrine of two plus two equals five. Yep. Like that's the level of institutional capture. Holy shit. Yeah. It's and bad. it's not just the media, too. It is, it's it's across all the fields. Like, you know, we'll get into it with the gender stuff. But from the APA, the American Psychological Association, yeah, to yeah. the American uh, whatever pediatrics group, yeah. all of these professional organizations have bought the, the gender affirmation model hook, line, and sinker when there's literally no good evidence that that's the way that we should be proceeding with the treatment of these kids who have, you know, symptoms of dysphoria. Yeah, and and they did the same with COVID. I mean, the AAP, the pediatrics was a disaster. That thread about masking kids does not have any impact on them will live in infamy because Uh it's just so horrific. Those are supposed to be our doctors looking out for our kids, our experts, our top experts, and yet they're pushing overt propaganda to advance left-driven political policy. I mean, that's a, it's a terrifying reality. I read a um, letter that the AAP sent to all of their doctor's offices. I want to say it was up in the Massachusetts office somewhere. And the theme of the letter was you need to vaccinate your, vaccinate your entire patient populations. They use that term, entire patient populations, over and over. And the letter was all about ways in which to vaccinate the entire patient population. Never once talking about, like, let's figure out if this kid had COVID three weeks ago. Let's yeah. figure out if maybe he had some bad reactions to shot four before we give him shot five. No, it's just get needles in your entire patient population. That goes to show you that they're not serving public health anymore. They're serving something else, man. Oh, yeah. They they erased the concept of natural immunity completely during that time. It just didn't exist anymore. It's like all of a sudden that's just also the flu. The flu was magically gone for all of COVID. And the flu disappears in 2020. And then in May of 2021, they put out a notice that they're going to change the PCR test to a test that 
better distinguishes between flu and COVID and our brainwashed people have never been able to put those two obvious pieces of the puzzle together. Maybe the flu didn't take a season off, guys. Maybe it had to do with the PCR change in May. And then, you know, there's also that whole problem with XX deaths spiking in 2021, which we can't really get into too much because, you know, YouTube is still very... But what you can get into and show is that the charts and all the numbers indicate that the peak infection took place right before the lockdowns. And then the peak deaths took place right after the lockdowns were implemented. Mm. Tells the story, doesn't it? Tell us so. the story. Hey, real quick, so, so to tie up the, the, what was the moment that got me here, was that June 5th that made me appreciate the level, what we were up against. I, I did not, I knew things were bad all of 2020, obviously, but it was at that moment where they signed that letter that I went, holy shit, our institutions are fully captured and we may not get out from under this. So that's when I started, my brain started firing of, man, you know, what do we do? I guess that was sort of the, the five alarm moment of things are bad. But the moment that made me decide to enter this fray was the final Trump rally in Pennsylvania a couple days before the election. And let me just quick sidebar on this and say that I was never that passionately into Donald Trump. And no, this is not one of those qualifiers of like, I can only speak if I make sure I'm not a Trump guy first. I'm saying this for a reason. And that was, I was just never a, a passionate Trump dude. In 2016, I woke up planning to vote R down ballot and leave the top blank because I could not vote for Hillary Clinton. And I just thought the idea of Donald Trump being our commander in chief was embarrassing. That office has a lot of like, regal quality to me again i'm a military brat right so it was like i don't know there's a there's a level of i want to respect and admire my commander-in-chief and the idea of donald trump the bozo being our president i couldn't swallow it so i was going to not vote for any president that morning and then i talked with a couple people important in my life and they kind of convinced me it was the decision i need to make i'm, I'm glad i did it but even throughout his, his presidency i never really got fully in trump's corner i wasn't a trump hater I thought he was very impressive when he met with Kim Jong-un. I thought that was a high point of his presidency. Definitely. I thought some of his policies were really strong. I thought his comments to the EU on gas are just absolutely incredible now, three years later, to look back at that. So, like, I appreciated him as a president more than most Americans are told we're not allowed to. But at no point was I ever, like, a true Trump homer. Well, yeah. fast forward to the last couple weeks before the vote. And things are just starting to build towards a crescendo in our country. Everything's getting kind of crazy. This is when Ice Cube made the comments, kind of calling out this emotionally manipulative machine running on the left, where if you're black, you must vote Democrat. If you're non-white, you must vote Democrat. You know, all these causes, everything but the evil white heterosexual male, you must vote Democrat. And Ice Cube kind of called that out on like, guys, why are we being brainwashed like this? Like, what are the tangibles they're promising us? Don't just be a sheep and vote for that. And the counter propaganda that hit him and everybody else around that was so intense. And then the week going into Trump's final election, um, before the vote, his final rallies, the energy in those rallies was unbelievable, man. The last one in Pennsylvania where they brought in the big like oil rig things in the background, it was right at sunset. There must have been 100 or 200,000 people in some small field in Pennsylvania. And the amount of energy in that place was just electric. And I realized that it was the silent majority. It was the American people pushing back and going, no, we don't want this Truman Show for four more years. And yet across media, across Twitter, across every single Truman Show outlet, they were described as white supremacists and racists and bigots and filth. The language used to describe my brothers and sisters who were there just because they want to vote for one of the two sides bothered me to a level I don't have the words to describe. And it was at that moment I knew I, I had to do something to be able to tell my kids later. I thought that was a horrifying moment in American history.
Yeah. So it was the mainstream media who radicalized you. Good job. It, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, this is you something bet. we actually talked about this with uh, Amy Souza in our previous episode, but there's this phenomenon called contact potential difference, which is you kind of have to almost be exposed to a big enough evil in order to bring out your best good. And, you know, it's an electrical phenomenon when you have two differences between uh, like a positive and negative pole. In order to get the spark to jump, you have to have a, a big enough uh, contact potential difference, the difference between the electrical charges, in order for the spark to, to, to jump the arc. Um, and we see a lot of the same thing. And, and metaphorically, you know, people react to these horrible circumstances and it inspires us to be better. It inspires us to be better people, to reach out, to start to network, to to start to fight in the space for what we believe is right. So it, it's a very interesting phenomenon to see that happen. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny that you say that. And that ties into sort of a epiphany I had a couple of weeks ago and I posted on it and I said that I'm kind of reaching a saturation point of feeling like I want to spread awareness and open eyes because I kind of feel like people know at this point and those who aren't aware to what are going on, they don't want to be. They don't want to disrupt their priors. They don't want to accept what looking in that direction will mean for everything they fortify down on. And I ended it by saying, I don't think people are going to change until they experience enough of the hurt directly on their doorstep. And I think that's kind of tying into what you're saying there, Brent. That's the spark for people. That's where the charge yeah. connects. It also goes into the whole, you know, theory of the different stages of societies where, uh, what is it, uh, hard times make strong men, strong yes. men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make bad times. We've definitely been in a period of good times you know, since the times, end of World War II. And yep. people got Vietnam. very comfortable, got very soft. Like, even our homeless people in this country live way better than homeless people. We have people. fat homeless people yeah. with cell phones. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, so like, it's like, I'm not, I'm not saying, like, being homeless is glamorous or anything like that, but it's, it's a pretty important point to make. Our society is rather pampered. We are, and I am too. And so, you know, so is Brent, and I'm sure you are to some degree too. Like, most of us have not really gone through any real, true hard times. Like, the closest we probably had was like what the 2008 housing crash. So, up, and that wasn't, you know, how many people did that really truly affect in, in a direct way? You know, it affected the economy, that's for sure, and food prices and all that, and all that other stuff, people's ability to own a home, etc. But up until the recent stuff we're living through, which I guess you could now call hard times, most of us exactly. didn't really know what it was like to struggle very much or to fight against something pretty. Sure. <clears throat> I think that quote, and that's why I leave it on my banner, I think that quote is so revealing. It's, it's such an interesting thing to think about. And you can trace it through our, our history so cleanly. I mean, World War II, the greatest generation, those were the strong men built by the hard times. I mean, that's a very easy connection. The roaring 90s that I grew up in, those were the good times that made all the weak men. And now we have all these weak men that are making the hard times. And the good news is the hard times will forge the next generation of strong men. And I'm already seeing that. I see that in my daughter. She's got a completely different mentality from Gen Z. Now, Did I don't you mean my daughter's representative. Your daughter, dude? I'm sorry, you're canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Everybody bristles on that quote. I'm like, look, men is metaphorical. It doesn't just mean males. But I'm now seeing that attitude of hers. Like she yeah. represents the next generation that I am damn convinced are going to pull us out of this. Because the reality is this, this, this rabid activism, as I like to call it, has been sort of what has consumed 
two or three generations of our youth in a row. And I, the Yuri robots, you know, it's the Yuri Besmanol videos come to life. But it yeah. really has been this rabid machine that with each wave has gotten more and more erratic, kind of out there, this, that, and the other. And now we've sort of reached a insane point where men are women and people call themselves they, them, and Zzer and all these, you know, piercings and weird shit. And my, my point in all that, I'm not ripping people's individual decisions, is that my daughter now sees that as I don't want to be that. And I think that's really important because for two or three generations, that's what every kid wanted to be. It wasn't cool to be patriotic. Yeah. It wasn't cool to be a conservative. It was cool yeah. to paint your hair green and yell about the patriarchy. Right? <laughs> I wasn't yelling about the patriarchy, but I was yelling about the system. I did have to something. Yeah, got rabid to activism. You got to fuel yeah. it. And I, I feel like that's really fading now. And I could be wrong. I'm sure people listen to this and laugh. Yeah, right. Have you not seen the state of affairs? No, I have. I guess my point is, I think we are watching the next generation of strong men being forged before our eyes. I really do. And I don't say that just to be corny or out of false hope. That's I think it's this next pill. group that'll pull us out. It's a white pill to take. Um, I don't know. I Part of me is leaning a little black pill because I'm not, I'm not sure that we've hit the pinnacle of bad times yet. Like, oh, no. Yeah, I don't think we have either. I, I, I think it, it's probably going to get worse oh yeah i think yeah. a lot of these rabid activist types yeah. are not going to survive the challenges oh, I, no, they're not. I feel like we have like an evolutionary challenge coming it's yeah, going to be like challenge mode where all of a sudden food is not as available as it was as mm -hmm. you know previously yeah. maybe clean water is suddenly very hard to get for some people uh, maybe there's a environmental problem in a certain part of the country you know we just saw that huge train explosion thing that happened in east palestine it's a lot it's possible that we see more events like that in different locations and everybody is going to have their own unique challenge in chicago over the weekend i saw a horde of yeah, teenagers just violent zombie-like destroying property attacking no people for fun that was their fun that yeah. was their so i mean I, I think a lot of these kids are just not gonna make it no i, I agree i was uh i was chatting recently with uh clint russell from liberty lockdowns it was the first time i'd ever met clint i think very highly of him but he shared with me that he's from a financial background um he used to run a mortgage company and around covid time he decided to shut it down because he didn't think uh, it was the market was going to recover well and then he thought the lockdowns were just true governmental tyranny and he's probably right about that and that lit his fire and I'm really appreciative of all Clint's done but I bring him up because he's got a he's got an excellent uh, insight into the financial nuts and bolts of our economy that I don't that's not a, a realm of expertise for me and when we were chatting man he painted a really bad picture of what's to come financially and and my point in all that kind of tying this back to what you just said Brent is he said a quote that really rattled me when we were chatting that night. He said, if you think things are bad now in terms of like the social dismay, the detached activists, sort of the just this like constant sense of turmoil that we're in and things don't feel stable. He goes, imagine how those same people or our society are going to be in, in essence, like the next Great Depression. Like yeah. if everything is this off track now. What does America look like? And he thinks it's only 18 months away when we hit just true economic calamity. And man, I haven't been able to get that thought out of my mind because he's right. Yeah, and I've what it looks that, like is bad. I've had that thought in my mind for years, actually. I've always yeah. been operating with uh, the apocalypse is two to five yeah. years away, well, like 2005. <laughs> part of it is just having studied enough history yep. and certain events that have happened in history. One of the things that you should hopefully digest if you do study some history is just how quickly things can change and, apart. and escalate. Uh, and I forgot the 
scholar's name, but I think he called them black swan moments or black swan events. They're, they're like these things that you can hardly even predict. And they just all of a, they happen. And then all of a sudden you go from one reality to another. And that's basically what COVID and the lockdowns were. They were very much a black swan event. Like who could have predicted that mid-March, all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, this is where you think your life is going? Nope, your life is going in this direction now. Yeah. You don't have a job anymore. You have to stay in your house. You can't do this, you can't do that. We're closing everything down. Everyone is scared and hysterical. Everyone's wearing a mask. Who could have predicted these things Good point. play out? So what other things could happen? I mean. God forbid, but like, what if someone, you know, kills Trump or something like that? I'm not, no, 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 I know what you mean. do that, anyone. I'm just saying if an event- And the YouTube clip just got pulled. Thanks for ruining <laughs> our monetization. If Trump died in office even, say he got, yeah. or even just Trump getting elected again, I don't know what that's hey, gonna Even play just out, Joe Biden but, passing naturally yeah. could be a yeah. black swan event. But it's Especially just like, if Kamala ends up in there and then China decides to capitalize. Even this indictment, like I tweeted something Thing that some might find extreme the other day but i i think you know this indictment kind of represents a period where we've i don't know if we've been this close to civil war in a long time and i know that sounds extreme but it's unprecedented like a, a president has never been convicted of crimes in this way so publicly in this sort of you know spectacle and the country has not been this divided in quite a long time probably since the 1960s no doubt and maybe even you know since the civil war itself the yeah, and i i hate the term civil war i try not to use it very often on on twitter and obviously it's something it's a concept that it's not new right we've bumped into this yeah. kind of thinking before and i've always just completely dismissed it as just fantasy speak like dumb deranged has no application to reality i guess a better way to put that is i've never seen a path in real life outside of computer monitors to civil war in america i do now for the first time 2020 yeah. was the first time where i could actually see an, a realistic doesn't take a detachment from reality series of events or course of action that leads to actual conflict in america between two camps and that's a scary concept to it be is. there honestly over the last couple years I can't remember ever hearing as much talk of secession yep. as I've heard over the last couple of years. And what's scary about the whole thing is that the divide in the country went from being something that was simply just ideological and belief-wise to being geographical now. This is something that's really important that I think people need to understand. A lot of swapping around the country took place from late 2020 especially through 2021 not only were people fleeing places like new york city and places like california for texas or florida or tennessee or whatever or west virginia but people were also fleeing those places that are more red or conservative places and coming places like here because they they want to be controlled they want the liberal values they they want the woke shit. so a lot of swapping places happened they want and to sterilize and mutilate yes and now now the the lines dividing the country are more geographical than they were pre-lockdowns, pre lockdowns, pre. Oh, the other COVID. cool thing about and that. that's where you get into the territory of you know once like a war could break. The big issue there too is that yeah. they changed the electoral map. It's you like know, two different countries. It's no longer the same. We don't have the same voting yeah. population in the same place as we did for the 2020 election. Yeah, I think yeah, uh, Charlie Kirk was talking about that mm -hmm. on one of Tim Pool's episodes recently. Mm -hmm. I remember. 
Yeah, and I don't know, the thing that freaks me out, I, I love thinking I love thinking about contingencies, playing sequences of events out and seeing where they go. That's where a lot of the inspirations from my writing comes from, is seeing blips of what's coming. And, oh, okay, that's the direction they're going to push us. What's going to happen next? And when I think about what you just said, Dan, about the geographical separation that's occurred, that scares the shit out of me, because yeah. in combination with that, we are having two ideological visions pushed on our populace that are just polar opposite. And I think they're summed up well by... Newsom and, and DeSantis, and I'm not saying those two are heroes of each side. I just mean if you, if I needed to create a mascot for each side, that's probably two good choices. And the vision of Florida, the way we're living, is not compatible with the vision of California no, or much totally more different. vice versa. So we have half of our population, and I don't know where the numbers cut, cut exactly, but let's go half and half. I've got half of my population that's fortifying down on that blue Newsom vision. They think it's righteous and the other side are monsters. Then we've got the other side that are forefighting down on this red Florida vision. They think everything they're doing and freedom is righteous and that it's a bunch of communists on the other side that want to dominate them. And regardless of which camp you fall into, that should really unnerve you because what is the future path of that? I don't see very many good outcomes. And you know what unnerves me? I can understand the talk of secession from the people. Do. We're talking about it. I totally got it, especially through like the darkest periods of the lockdowns, especially the period where we here in New York City could not go to restaurants. We were unpersoned. A, a museum. I couldn't even see my cultural heritage anymore. And I'm an artist too. I could. I couldn't go into a museum. Most of them. There was because, a period too where we were supposed to tattle yeah. on ourselves if we traveled. Yes, because I didn't take a particular substance into my body that I didn't want because it was experimental. And even if whatever the reason, I just I shouldn't be compelled to do that if I don't want to. Whatever the point is. We were literally segregated in this place that is symbolized by the Statue of Liberty and free yeah, the yeah. Freedom Tower, and it's, it's supposed to be all about liberty. And we had some of the strictest, harshest lockdown policies and mandates here in New York City. Um, I had sentiments where, fuck these people. I don't want to share a country with these people. I get that. I totally understand that. And it's still hard to get over that. And I don't, I don't know. There's some people who probably might not ever be able to forgive. Um, I will forgive to an extent and move on, but I'm certainly never going to forget. And I will be cold towards most of those people. For yeah, a see, long I time. can't. Uh, powerful words you just said, and I, I admire the fact you're willing to speak. And most people aren't willing to say that stuff, even if they feel that stuff. I'm willing to COVID. I'm largely talking about here. I'm willing to rebuild build bridges and get everybody back in the same yeah. car. But there's one condition: you have to own what happened yes. and i don't mean groveling apologies you don't have to fall on your knees to apologize to anybody but you have to say what wrong. happened was wrong yep. and if you're not willing to say what happened was wrong then i don't want you in my car ever i'm not willing to ride with you again and that's How why i pound you? the shit out of so people I like i trust you at the drop of a hat on the turn of a dime you will do the same thing again you will segregate me from society if i refuse to go along with the crazy exactly and and on the covid front covid I believe saved our country. And I know that's a, it's a, it's a mm. quote that a lot of people can't palate because it's like, oh, you would have brought on deaths of 100,000 people. No, you know, get that emotional bullshit away from me. That's not what I'm talking about. I believe the, the curtains has pulled back. What it has shown us has permanently changed our people. And the reason for that is it all presented so clearly. We can talk about white supremacy and climate agenda until we're done with our days because they're kind of amorphous subjects, right? They're a little bit subjective. A lot of boogeymans exist, and it's like you can create po the correct positions on both sides. Well, in the arena of science, that's not always the case. For example, there always was natural immunity. It never blocked transmission. Yeah. The duration was always short. 
Kids were never under a serious threat. These are just facts. And we know they're facts now. And so whereas like you can't exactly get an anti-racist ideologue to admit that white supremacy is largely a boogeyman, you can get somebody to admit that the data set from Israel in August of 2021 proved conclusively that natural immunity was superior to the vaccines. So it's an it's a arena where things present binary, things present black and white. And as a result of that, we got them in that arena. Like I can pin you down on binary things and you can't escape with spells like you can in the racecraft world. And where I'm going with all of that is that's what I mean by I will not allow people, I won't get back in the car, sit at the table with people if they're not willing to own up to what happened. And what, a great example of that, and I'm sorry if you guys happen to like this person, but I'm gonna pound her for a second, is Kathy Young. I spend a lot of time on the bird pounding Kathy Young, and I'll explain why I do. I do because individuals like Kathy Young and Nick Christakis have a whole lot more sway in circles like the three of us run in Twitter or in the digital world, right? And Eric um, Fang Dingle, whatever his name is, nobody gives a shit about that guy. You know what I mean? Uh, an Eric Swalwell, nobody cares about him. That Dash Dabrowski, nobody cares about him. Like, those oh, are just vulnerable barkers on the fringe. Nobody fucking cares. But so many people within our part of these woods, who I respect a lot, have said to me comments like, the person I trust most on COVID is Nick Christakis. The person I trust most on COVID is Monica Gandhi. Uh, Kathy Young is one of the most objective, fair people in all of our journalism sphere. So my point in that is, as a result of riding in, in that objective, moderate, I'm a good guy posture, the weight of their words are extraordinarily heavy. They carry a lot of weight in our sort of intellectual camp, the center left, center right. You know who I'm referring to here. And Kathy Young pushed out a lot of anti-vaxxer propaganda within her writings. Nick Christakis committed one of the most horrific things through it all, which I won't bog us down with here. But those individuals... Was he the... Sorry, was he the, the Holly... Uh, the, he's the Yale professor. Yes, the can Halloween I, costume. Can I, tell the, can I tell the Christakis story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The it. guy who, you know, was yeah, like... Let him, let him tell it. Yeah, it's a good story. And uh, I would say I apologize to you, Nick, before I tell the story, because it doesn't make you look good. But I don't apologize, because you had your chance <laughs> to get out of this dirt, and you chose not to. So... Nicholas Christakis is a professor at Yale. He was the one who got involved or, or, or was wrapped up in the Halloween costume racial debate. Remember that? Remember that, yep. So he became sort of an anti-woke hero because his wife and he stood up to these crazy anti-racist ideologues who, whatever, telling him he couldn't wear some costume because it was racist. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the so, first big like university cancellation of Exactly, exactly. Back in the Evergreen era. I think we're going yeah. all the way back here. It wasn't like Evergreen. 20, I want to say 2016, 2014, 20, it was, somewhere in it there. It was pre-Jordan Peterson. Like Evergreen and Christakis were like the first two. And then in Canada, you had Peterson. Yeah, so it had, had to be like 2015-ish. Yeah, and see, that's, that's in my sleep phase, man. I'm Rip Van Winkle at that point. I'm getting stoned and talking about Miami Hurricanes football and wine and living a good life. I don't know about any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing how blind I was living life. So when I was introduced to Nick Stock, because I don't mean directly, like when I learned who he was in this, in this digital space, he came in on just such a high reputation. Everybody looked up to this man. I heard about his past with that Halloween thing. And he was sort of an anti-woke warrior. And he was a good guy, an intellectual professor, blah, 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 blah. He's also in the epidemiology field, I believe. So he was an expert in this sphere as well. Um, so fast forward to uh, summer of 2021 when vaccine mandates are really my central fuel. I mean, that's kind of what really lit my fire in all of this was attacking vaccine mandates, really just trying to get the people to see the science that was being hid from them that should have showed them these mandates were fundamentally wrong. And in August of 2021, we had a sensational study come out from Israel, which has always been the global vax front runner. They've been laps ahead of everybody. Deployment, 
studies, data, everything. If you want to know what's going on with COVID and vaccines, you look at Israeli data. Um, so they released this phenomenal study. And it showed conclusively that natural immunity was vastly superior to the vaccine. I'm talking like 13 times and 27 times on two different, two different ranges. Um, so just exponentially better. And then most importantly, it showed that the benefit of a jab on top of somebody post-infection was minuscule. So that should have ended the vaccine mandates. But the Truman Show ran this headline instead. New Israeli study proves that super immunity is the best of all. And it was factually true. The data did show that if you had an eye and got a jab, you got like a tiny little boost higher. So technically, I guess it's the best of all. But what that headline should have said was Israeli data shows vaccine mandates are wrong. Natural immunity is much superior. We need to at least factor that into our mandates. Our media dismissed it entirely because it would have destroyed mandates going to yeah. show that this never served public health. So what does this have to do with Nick Christakis? Well, between that time period and December, shit was really wild. The mandates were being pushed hardcore. It was now clear the data we had on, on natural immunity was so strong, I knew I was on the right side here and I was willing to fight tooth and nail to the end. Thanks to Alex Berenson, by the way, for highlighting this kind of stuff. The quote, wrongest man of the pandemic was dead right back then. He was helping show this kind of data. And that's why, of course, even in Twitter files, we saw that there was a governmental effort to shut him down. So things are getting really bad over the, the course of the next months. Fast forward to December. By this point, things are real bad. I mean, the, the hostility in the country is insane. It's yep. being pumped by not just the Eric Dings and, um, uh, God, who's the shots guy? Hey, Peter Hotez and Team Biden and Fauci and Walensky and all that, but pieces from people like Kathy Young and David A. French and that world, that center-left bulwark, Colette, Atlantic world, they're running all this sort of subliminal propaganda to make everybody hate anti-vaxxers as well. Yep. So... Nick Christakis goes on Sam's show, and I hate Scam Harris with a passion, by the way. Maybe hates the wrong <laughs> word, but I, I, I am no fan of Scam Harris. So, uh, charlatan, that man. He's a charlatan. Yeah, total charlatan. And, and again, I dislike him because he faked about who he was. If he just yeah. owned it up to who he was and didn't act like he was this morally righteous, you know, thought meditator, then it's like, okay, we all make mistakes. We are who we are. But no, his whole guise was bullshit. So uh, he goes on Scam Harris's show. And, oh, hold on. I left one detail out. So... That data from August started causing some big problems over in the states because Alex Brinson and people like that, small people like me, were helping spread it around the country. And all you had to do was look at that data and go, oh, shit, this isn't good. These mandates don't make sense. Well, we can't have that. Enter the Truman Show. Sadly, the Truman Show owns our institutions, even our Center for Disease Control. So in October of 2021, they released that infamous, bogus junk science study that they produced themselves. They ran through MMWR. For anybody listening to this, MMWR is a publishing wing of the CDC, does not go through peer review. It is reviewed by the CDC to ensure that it complies with CDC policy. It has been a factory of medical misinformation and propaganda since day one, but it's all gift wrapped as the science copyright. So it makes any alternative point become disinformation and bannable, right? So they released this study in October of 2021 that concluded that the vaccine was superior uh, to natural immunity. Angela Rasmussen ran that on her Twitter feed. Nature Magazine ran that. Every one of our medical institutions ran that. Twitter did a blast to their hundreds of, hundred of millions of eyes that said, you know, vaccine superior to natural immunity. It was this really intense propaganda blast in order to rub away what would just came out of Israel, concluding the exact opposite. That was another one of those kind of like June 5th, 2020 moments for me where I said, oh shit, this is DEFCON 5. Uh -huh. So Christakis goes on, on Sam's show in December. And 
I've never seen the whole show to my discredit. I've watched bits of it. But in this critical bit of it that you'll see if you ever search Christakis under my name on Twitter, you can read this story and you can watch that bit. He just regurgitates the CDC study. And the language that he used was so offensive. It wasn't like, oh, this data's good, but oh, here's some from Israel. It was, oh, this is a slam dunk. It's a no-brainer. It was to paint the picture that anti-vaxxers are monsters, the science is 100% settled, and you shouldn't listen to anybody else. Now, going back to what I said earlier of the influence of people like Kathy and Nick on our circles, that's why my cannons come at them so intensely. So I am enraged that Nick has gone on this show and pushed the propaganda from the CDC because on December 4th, a week before Nick went on this show, what I refer to as the Holy Grail came out of, of course, Israel on this exact question. It was the entire vaccinated Israeli population. It's one of the best studies we have on natural immunity to this day is the 12-421 study. And it revealed even more conclusively than the one in August that natural immunity far and away superior. Seven days after that, Nick Christakis is on Scam Harris's show, just blowing propaganda in the other direction in order to inflate the hatred and the fervor against anti-vaxxers in America. So I rip his ass the next morning. I'm writing this long thread of like, oh, my God, this is appalling. I can't believe Nick wouldn't have even mentioned, you know, that he's pushing this propaganda, blah, 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 blah. Well, he got trashed for it by a lot of people with way bigger legs than I have. So much so that he goes into hiding for three days. <laughs> After he goes into hiding for three days, he writes this study. I mean, he writes this long uh, Twitter thread. I want to say he wrote it on December 21st or December 22nd. Dude, it was like 32 tweets long. Every one of the tweets was a study from around the world on vaccination versus natural immunity. And it sort of started with, a, I got a lot of shit from my appearance on Sam. People think I'm influenced by propaganda and this, that, and the other. It's not fair. People would think this of me. I am such a great human being. I'm going to break down for you every study that we have in this realm so that you can decide for yourself. And I remember when I started reading that thread, I'm like, okay, Nick got his ass whooped and he's going to save face. I call it his safe face thread. So I'm reading through it, and I'm reading through it, and I'm reading through it. And he, of course, spends a whole lot of time on that CDC junk science from October. What does he not conclude, dude? The 12-4 study is not in this three-day comprehensive thread he's put together, right? Then he has the audacity to conclude, and I wish I had the tweet up. I'd read it verbatim. He concludes, you know, blah, blah, blah. We've seen this data, but it is clear that vaccination is superior than natural immunity based on the data we have at least at present. He ends with at least at present, right? So I go on a tirade on Twitter of like, this motherfucker, I cannot believe that he would put this together and leave out the Holy Grail. Did he not know about it? Is he claiming he didn't know about it? Dude shows up in my replies. And he says, <laughs> as I'm ripping his ass, I think I was in the middle of writing this thread when Christakis comes riding through on his white horse. Yeah. And he, says, <laughs> he says to me, uh, he goes, you mean this study? And he drops a link. And I look. And it's the Holy Grail from 12.4. And it appears to be in a long thread. And at first, my heart sunk a little. I'm like, shit, man, did I miss it? Like, did he talk about the 12.4? But he couldn't have because his conclusion was, based on the studies above, vaccination is clearly superior. So I click on the link to go, it's fine now. Dude dropped it the next day. He writes his safe face thread on like the 21st, writes a final conclusion of vaccination is superior to everything, quote, at least for now. And he knows that that's what's going to hit hundreds of thousands, if not millions of eyeballs. Right. And then the next day, he puts this little thing in and he goes, just now, a new study out of Israel appears to show strong strength of blah, blah, blah. It is a good study, knowing damn well that nobody's going back to his thread the next day to read that other thing, right? So I said, Nick, I'm aware of your thread. But what I want to know is, were you aware of the 12-4 study 
when you pushed tweet on this 1221 study that concluded vaccination was superior. He says, this is exhausting. You can look at all the data you want, but in general, vaccination is a blah, blah. And I'm like, fuck you, pal. I was like, that's the answer I wanted. I wanted to know if he would own up because, side note, I knew he knew about the 12-4 study because he posted somewhere about it on Twitter. And I'm holding that receipt in my hand as I'm asking him, Nick, did you know about this study when you wrote your safe face thread? I really wanted him to tell me no because then I was going to pull his pants down further. But he didn't. <laughs> he turned around and he fled. And I've brought that up dozens of times. I know it's caught Nick's attention multiple times because he finally blocked me once when I was talking about it. But that's my story about Nick Christakis. And when you add all of that together and you say, what does that story tell us? It tells us some deeply disturbing things. It tells us Nick Christakis is a compromised person. He's either dishonest for his own selfish agenda, or I think there's possibly tentacles in Yale. Yeah. Willing to say yeah. that out loud. Yeah. Um, that's, that's an old thing, too. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It shows you that some of the most dangerous people in our country, in my opinion, are the mask wearers on the center left who claim to be these objective people above the fray. Hello, Scam Harris. And what they're really doing is pushing agenda, pushing bullshit, and trying to herd things in the direction of their agenda while wearing the costume of the good guy. Yep. And in my opinion, that describes people like Kathy Young and Nicholas Christakis to a T. And until those individuals are willing to own up to that role— or even if Nick had just said to me, I messed up, man. I shouldn't have wrote that thread. You know, I should have said that it was even, I would have respected the dude, but they can't because it shatters the whole aura of the moral, right? The moral versus the monsters. They are the good guys. Their authoritative illusion if they admit that. And that's how we got to coercion by way of the expert class. That's how the Temple of Sanctimony was fucking made. It yep. was from people like Nick Christakis pushing out threads like that, that somebody like Angel Eduardo, who I adore, can read that thread, come away from it and go, oh, clearly vaccination is superior to natural immunity. And if I say, well, what makes you think that, Angel? He can say, well, look at the thread from Nick Christakis. He's the guy I trust most on the COVID front. I brought Angel up because he once uttered that exact line to me. So it goes to show the position these individuals sat in. And as a result of that position, they had the ability to flick a whole lot more damage than Howard Stern did, in my opinion. And they did it willfully. And to be honest, they don't have one F given to this day. I tangled with Kathy Young a couple weeks ago because she, she's a joke. I, I can't stand Kathy Young. She has a um, she has a tweet that I've I've regurgitated dozens of times because I want people to see it over and over where she says the only people who would have been against mandates are conspiracy idiot, idiots and self-destructive morons. Right. Okay? And she wrote a piece one time that was. Uh, we're all the same. There were no principal baddies in this. We were trying to do our best. There were no principal baddies. It's easy to see the agenda she's furthering. And it really bothers me because I wanted Kathy who, I don't know, 85% of the people I respect in Twitter think the world of her. Okay. And that's the highest testament someone can have to me. So I want to like those people too, because why do all the people I like think so highly of them? So I kind of go into them with a positive bias. And man, I've exhausted that positive bias with Kathy <laughs> because I've asked her over and over, Kathy, do you agree that that statement is wrong now? that a lot of the people didn't need these shots and that we had science at the time that proves they didn't need these shots. Ergo, the mandates were not wrong. There were principal baddies. She won't own up to it, man. She came into my replies like two weeks ago, feigned ignorance, distracted, this, that, and the other, but ultimately ran away. She doesn't want to own up to the error, you know? And it's like Emily Oster with that, we need to have an amnesty. These people are pushing so hard to be able to walk away scot-free. And I'm telling you, I'm not gonna let it happen. I don't care if I'm some small dude on Twitter, I'm gonna pound these people until they own up to their role and what occurred. So sorry for the long rant. No, that's, that was good, it's perfect. It brings <laughs> me back around to the the initial theme of not wanting to sit or ride in the same car with these people. Exactly. 
that sentiment. And I guess this is a good place where we can kind of shift gears a bit because we've definitely exhausted, I think, the COVID stuff and the mandates and all of that. Yeah. But another topic that gives me the same sort of sentiment, the same feeling where I understand that feeling. I sympathize with it from people who state that. I'm not saying we should have secession and break the country up. I, I don't know what the solution is, but I understand not the that. sentiment <laughs> of if you think people can be born in the wrong body and that teaching this to children is a good idea and that we should stop their natural development with puberty blockers if they're having issues or they're not comfortable with themselves, that we should put them on cross-sex hormones and that we should push them towards me medicalization, which leads toward actually removing their healthy sex organs and body parts. I am so diametrically in a different worldview than you that I wouldn't want to share a country with you. I get that sentiment. Like, fuck too. those people. Like, and, and even, especially fuck the people who know deep down that it is wrong. They know, but they're, they're just going along with it anyway because they're scared to say something or they want to appear like, oh, we're just trying to be inclusive. And it's just like, you, you know deep down what a man and a woman is. And you know deep down that telling this to kids that there's something inherently wrong with you, you're in the wrong body is evil. Can I just, I just want to riff a minute on this idea of these, these pseudo authorities and these fakers, the charlatans, as I like to call them. Yes. Um, there's, there's a lot of them. <laughs> there's so many. I, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Brad Palumbo, but he's this guy that I sort of got like targeted. He retweeted me the other day. I got targeted on a him meme. in the post January 6th environment because he's, you know, I, he was, he's a gay guy. He's, you know, he says he's a libertarian. He hosts a podcast called Based Politics. Um, which is a red flag in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, nobody, you can't call yourself based. You have to be called based by other people. That's yeah, like I that mean. guy who calls himself an alpha male the other time. It's like, stop, no, that's no. not cheap. Jack Murphy, stop, no. another charlatan. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of what I'm seeing. I'm seeing this pattern of, you know, in this, this new environment that we're in where social media is now sort of tearing down celebrity and giving everyone the opportunity to have an audience what we're seeing is that yes, there are a shitload of charlatans, but they're getting exposed. You know, for people that are paying attention, you know, people that are a little bit perspicacious and discriminating, we see this shit. Like Kathy Young, I knew she was a fucking faker when she announced her departure from uh, unfollowing the disaffected podcast because she didn't like the way that Josh talked about something. And she was just like, <laughs> I didn't know that. And yeah, she was waiting for her moment to announce her departure. It's like just the way that it looked like. And it was funny because Josh even said, like, I knew when that bitch followed me, she was just going to like wait to announce her unfollowing. To find a reason. She's, also, she's big with the Cato Institute, I think, too. Another libertarian policy think tank. There's so much of that clicky behavior that goes on in that sphere, in that Atlantic bulwark Quillette sphere that uh -huh. Kathy Young is sort of a goddess of. If you, every time there's a current thing popping off that gives you a reason to hate the right of America and conservatives, if you scroll down Kathy's page, you'll see it hit over and over. She's regurgitating all the retweets from, from the people who sit at her lunch table in that sphere, and they're all saying the same thing and building the same fervor. Sit at her lunch table. Every day, man. <laughs> 
I see it all the time. It's so fake to me. It's artificial. It's all artificial. That's why I say I don't want to sit at your table. I came to rearrange the chairs on the deck. I don't want to sit at your table. Fuck your table. Yeah. And then we're going to come over here and we're going to have our own fucking table and we don't need your fucking bullshit. Exactly. And and we are going across a a threshold or a flashpoint soon where I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Those tables where that, you know, our elite were sitting there and our, our, the moral, our sanctimonious, and they were too good for us to go to our table. We're ugly anti vaxxers and stuff. We aren't far away from where nobody's going to want to sit at their table anymore. There's going to be some other cool tables. And guess what, man? Karma's a bitch. She is. And this is something we're also seeing with, uh, you know, sort of like the James O'Keefe fan worship um, and a lot of the the fracturing in the sphere of, you know, this Project Veritas versus James O'Keefe battle, which I find really interesting. And it's also like an active case study in how tribalism can blind people yeah. into That's this awesome. cult of hero worship. We see the same thing around Trump to a certain, you know, to a, a much greater degree, actually. There, there's a lot of people who think Trump can do no wrong. Um, but we're seeing the same thing on the micro level too, with somebody like James, who's not, you know, he's a celebrity, but he's not what I would say, you know, he's not this top tier, he's not Trump, but we see the same thing with these people sort of crowding around. They have their chosen authorities. They, they worship them almost. And when they're shown to be wrong or when they're shown to be take sellers or, or otherwise in, at least in error, you know. in error, and then they don't admit it, it really yes. sort of breaks their spell for those of us that can see. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. And that's what I that's why I was hammering earlier when I said COVID percent presented things in such a binary manner. Like Kat, the reason Kathy and I tangled a couple weeks ago is lo and behold, I stumble her. I stumble into her and in somebody's replies on some big COVID article. And her exact quote was prior to Omicron, the mandates were fully justified. No, nope. like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. So I went back. Out there is one point I want to make about the COVID stuff, although I do want to move on. <laughs> from it and talk about the gender stuff and it's you know despite the israeli study and the evidence and there was pretty early evidence we knew they were faking the death numbers. there was pretty early evidence even before that we I knew think. they were faking that we knew yeah. they were faking the, the 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 potential for for causing sure death. but my point is you shouldn't even need any of that to make the argument that the mandates and the lockdowns were wrong mm-hmm. in this country especially in this country with the constitution no you that's that's all you needed was the constitution yeah, you suspended are criminal you suspended you civil liberties you can't yeah. do that period and there is no justification for the rent there is nothing you can say that's going to convince me that it was ever a good idea period well, that, and i don't care if the studies or not like it just no <laughs> let's sidebar on this real quick because i think it's an interesting discussion and i know we want to move on from COVID, but i'd be curious to hear what your answer is to this question. I've chewed on it a lot, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know where I fall. So we all kind of willingly, well, maybe willingly is the wrong word, but we went along with lockdowns early. I did, you know, we locked down for a couple weeks. I hung out with my neighbor. We made a little cube with our house and his house and his kids. And, you know, somebody would walk by and we'd look at him like a leper, like they better not fall into our cube, you know? So everybody (laughs) kind of went along with it because it was a scary time. The world was upending and we sort of didn't know any better. And I won't drift off here too far, but the reason everything changed so profoundly in Florida is DeSantis's policies allowed us to see the truth. And while the Truman Show pushed more and more propaganda and COVID fear porn, we were living our lives, opening beaches for spring break, hosting Super Bowls, going to carnivals, not wearing masks, and the rest of the country's locked down and they're telling us we're all going to die. And we weren't dying. We were having a great time. Right. <laughs> got us to see the level of the lies. But anyways, I've thought about it a lot of, are lockdowns ever justified? And 
What I've always said before is that the reason the COVID lockdowns were not justified is the threat did not necessitate it. And I, and I mean that in a couple of different directions. Like the kids were never at a big risk. The mortality yeah. rate was low. And then yep. post natural immunity, there's no data that can show people post-infection need these. So very clearly it fails on this virus, the analysis. But the question I wanna, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are, is had this have been Ebola, had this have been something with a freaking 80% fatality rate, do, and, and we think, see, that becomes the problem. We think the vaccines work. But let's paint a hypothetical where we know the vaccines are effective on transmission and we have a, a pathogen spreading around with a 50% plus fatality. I have an answer already. Do we then support lockdowns and vaccine mandates? My answer is still no. And the reason it's no is if the virus was that serious, people would voluntarily stay the fuck home. You would yeah, need to mandate fire. it. Why? Because they would see people getting sick and dying around them in large numbers. And they would know like, holy shit, this is real. I'm going to stay away from people for a while. I don't want to catch this. Like you wouldn't have to have a government <laughs> order to shut everything down. You don't think you'd have to give away free Krispy Kremes and rolled joints in order to get people to <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. I remember they were given, they were yeah. giving away joints in, uh, in Washington, Washington Square yeah. Park. Yeah, donuts, lotteries, Ariana yep. Grande singing concerts to get needles yeah. in people. The black I, you know, eating burgers, eating burgers and fries, and fries yeah. saying how good they are. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, so you're right. That's that's where I've landed too, Dan, is that yeah. if there was an emergency to that level, we, we would, would act on our own. Yeah. yeah, we would know. We would see people dying. And again, I feel we like all know people should have, we should have the authority to make these decisions yeah. for ourselves. Yep. And to, for the government to come in and just say, that's like, more dangerous you are unessential. You can't work. Like, yeah. that's basically what they did to me as a small business owner. Yeah. And I still haven't recovered financially. Yeah. So it's, it's like, I, I think the power is too dangerous to give the state that. that I, I do now, too. I, I even early on, I sort of landed on the. You know, if, if things had been more serious, maybe it makes more sense, but I've now landed exactly where you were, Dan, that if yeah. something rose, two reasons. Number one is I now realize we can't trust our institutions. Yep. So if they're telling me it is 80% mortality and that our vaccine works great, why do I believe you? Because you yeah. told me the same thing in COVID. Trust right? is gone. Yep. Right, exactly. Uh, and then the other point is exactly what you said, Dan, and that was my final answer. If, if this virus was scary enough that I was truly afraid for my children and there was a vaccine available, I would have gone and got it myself. I wouldn't need a mandate to go do it. So if we're rolling out donuts and joints, that's kind of a symbol that there's a problem. Yes. <laughs> so I don't think we should ever have that power again is my point. Like if he both, yeah. and, and here's, here's the kicker is when I was having those thoughts back in the day of, man, if this was had a higher fatality rate, then it made more sense. It's like, oh my God, that's what's coming next. Because I'm not sure this wasn't intentionally released. I still fall on an uh, unintentional mm -hmm. leak, but I haven't ruled out intentional leak by any means. And in fact, I lean toward, I lean toward intentional. Lean toward intentional. Do, you guys follow, do you guys follow Michael P. Singer? Have you read his work? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you follow like Michael's work and people like that, it's hard. It, it's almost impossible to dismiss that. But if lethal would have justified mandates, then my fear is that's what comes next. And so I've sort of landed at the point of, I'm not okay with this power ever. Yeah, I think. I think yeah, I would love to see some accountability um, from anyone. You know, like we have nobody has faced any consequences nope. whatsoever yeah. for that whole thing. There's Look been at Fauci's just. Chilling. I mean, the only person really that, that was that was harmed, the only politician was Trump. He was, you know, without without the uh, the whole. I, I, well, I can't really get into that too much because YouTube. But yeah. say mail-in ballots probably hurt him a lot more than anybody else. Yeah.
yep. in terms of political consequences. Yep. And yeah, then, you know, I'm, I have a problem with Trump is that I feel like, you know, he had a moment where he was in there. He could have put his foot down. He could have fired Fauci. He could have, right. you know, went out on the limb and 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 said, no, this is just a flu. We're not going to shut no, the country down. He did, he did Operation he, Warp Speed. He did. Yeah, yeah he just he kind of went along with it. And now I'm like, well, if you did that once... Right. I mean, Deborah Burks's book basically was a chronology. I didn't read her book. I've only read excerpts from it. But it was a chronology of what happened in 2020 under Team Trump and the decisions they made, which were largely deferred to Kushner, the son-in-law. I don't mean all the decisions were deferred. He had way too big of a role in that. I mean, they almost laughed about the lockdowns. They wanted them to be way longer than two weeks. And yes, his his hands are um, quite dirty there. And, you know, I'm not I'm not somebody who really wants scalps. Now, I, I don't understand how these people are still in control of things. How is Walensky still in charge of this? How is Fauci not in jail? Like, how is Fauci still in charge of things? It goes to show the level of corruption, corruption. within King Biden, which nobody's willing to accept. Like, if we recognize we have all these receipts proving malfeasance, corruption, and potentially crimes at this point, why are those people still in charge? It's like Bernie Madoff still running the hedge fund. Like, what yeah. the fuck? You know? Well, it's like, because, I mean, our DOJ is effectively our enforcement apparatus at the yeah. federal level, and yeah. it's occupied. Merrick Garland it was raised with Jelaine Maxwell. They were very close friends growing up. Their fathers were very wow, close. Wow. So, yeah. So Merrick Garland's dad was a diplomat in the UK, and they did summers together with the Maxwells. Oh, yeah. Wow. So that, like, just that and know. Like, that's all I need to know about Merrick Garland to know that he's fucking dirty as hell. And this did you know well. that his daughter is married to a guy named Zan, and that Zan runs Panorama Education, one of the largest purveyors of critical race theory? curriculum in America. I heard that. Yeah. 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 Lot, lot of, right? yeah. A lot of deep webs. Real, real quick. One, one last um, point on that. Like there hasn't been repercussions at, at the, I want the people who are in charge of this to be removed from power. So they can't do this to us again. Right. But, but that's really all I care about on scalps. I'm not too interested in Nuremberg's and criminal charges and all that. Yeah. I think it will disrupt the country more than it'll help. I want to clean this up so it doesn't happen again. But my, where I wanted to, the point I wanted to make is on the individual level. Because I hammer people like Kathy and Nicholas Christakis a lot. And I, I want anyone listening to this to understand that my end game goal there is not to act superior to somebody. It's not even looking for an apology, like somebody to fall on their knees to me. Oh, you're right. I was so wrong. I'm not seeking that. I'm seeking honesty, transparency, and ownership. And very quickly, to show you what I mean there, there's two people on Twitter who aren't famous people. They're not journalists or anything. They're just people we've interacted with. But I liked them a lot. I had good relationships with them before this all happened. And I won't drop names. It's not about them. It's about the concept. Both of them went hardcore anti-vaxxer. And they used their relatively large influence and platform to push that rhetoric, to make their fellow countrymen hate other Americans, hate their neighbors, hate their family members. One of them, in one of the most disgusting exchanges I ever saw, was laughing about the, quote, anti-vaxxer nurses and how funny it would be to see them bussing tables at diners. And that's where they deserve to be. Uh, mind you, a lot of those nurses, A, they were on the front lines when there was no vaccine. And All then right. number two, they have natural immunity. So their protection is superior to the vax. That is just pure sanctimony weaponized to a disgusting, hateful level. And when I saw that from that kid, I grew, I, I despise that dude as much as I can despise a human being. I think he's just disgusting. The second person pushed a lot of the same rhetoric, really got people they were just pumping the bounce house balloon of hatred against anti-vaxxers and i hammered them both and so we didn't get along well well kid one has never owned up to his role in this all to this day he uses the word anti-vaxxer he uses that to smear people he hated before covid was ever a thing because let's be honest that's what this largely was about uh-huh. person two 
wrote me a DM one day. And it wasn't apologetic. It wasn't groveling. It was something along the lines of, I just want to let you know, I regret some of the things I said. I feel like, you know, I, I wasn't driven from bad reason. You know, I kind of thought I was doing right, but I now recognize my words created a lot of harm. And I, you know, it, he didn't, I didn't think he apologized. It was more just like, a, I want you to know that I realize what I did was wrong. And I'm friends with that dude to this day. I went and followed him that day. I said, I just want to let you know how much I appreciate that. That speaks volumes to me about you. And that's it. I don't want to scalp. I don't want him to apologize to me. I want him to come back to the table of sanity. But if, right, yes. but if you're going to continue okay. swinging the anti-vaxxer bludgeon, if you're going to be Kathy Young running around Twitter saying mandates were fully justified before Omicron, if you're going to be Emily Oster saying we should all get uh, amnesty, then screw you. Then you're not welcome at my table. I mean, it's that simple for me. So that's kind of my point is that yeah, that's well, all I want to see because I think if that, we can't accept what happened, we can't move forward. Exactly. That, that point is going to be just as relevant when more of the gender ideology stuff starts to come to a head. And it's funny too, you know, because yeah. the gender ideology stuff connects in it that does. it's there's this same sort of medicalized authority, yep. the same sort of deference to bullshit, mm -hmm. the same claim that anything that, you know, the, the people that disagree are saying is either transphobic or big or yep. misinformation Absolutely. and it's it's a very similar pattern of behavior and, and like the cult-like mentality too, the yes. othering of people who disagree yep. and we we see all that same shit happening here with the gender shit and we're also going to see it all collapse and fall to the ground just like covid did yeah we are and 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 one of the things that i think every the, one of the pieces of the puzzle everybody needs to put together the light bulb that needs to click on is when we talk about these fears when you talk about people who either were rabid on the pronouns and the gender ideology or were almost equally as complicit by not saying anything and watching this take over everything and, and the attacks against those who stood up to it. When you look at that sphere, when you look at the people who swung the anti-vaxxer yep. billy club, look at that sphere. When you look at the people who got into the anti-racism and the white supremacy, look at that sphere. When you get into the climate, look at that sphere. If we chart all these as a Venn diagram, they're damn near a circle. Right. There's a reason for that, right? It's, it's yeah, the same we're thing. in the middle of a Chinese style cultural revolution and yeah. these people are just using these little wedge issues in order exactly. to Bingo. And, and, and it does and it does speak to tribalism too right because I'm not I'm not dismissive of the fact we have this on our side too we have a lot of that tribal instinct on our side too yeah. in fact I'm bumping into it a lot these days. it's a human it's a human problem I mean it's tribalism is a evolutionary adaptation there's no getting rid of it <laughs> yeah, I like that hey um I, I, I want to I want to read this quote real quick. I know that's really weird to read something on your show, but Dude, we, no, always, go for we it. do it all the time. I've pulled out books before. On the right, show. I love that. So passages. we keep talking about tribalism and how these two camps are sort of rapidly pushing in different directions. And for a significant portion of Americans, truth no longer matters anymore. I think that's a problem much bigger on the left because they fortified down so heavily on what I refer to as the moral versus the monsters casting. And if you admit you're wrong, some, that's largely why someone like Kathy Young can't write a piece that instead says there were no baddies, says we messed up because it shatters the moral versus the monsters casting, which is the fuel across the board. So I think this is a problem much more pervasive on the left, but I'm not dismissive of the fact we have it on the right. And Donald Trump trading cards are a pretty good symbol of that, right? So anyway, so when I think about the polarization and we talk about civil war, how do we get everybody back together? Like what are the potential outcomes? Because it feels like this is going in a really bad direction. This is a passage from 1711. So we're talking over 200 years ago from a man named Joseph Addison. It's not very long, and I'm going to read it. 
There cannot a greater judgment befall a country than such a dreadful spirit of division as rends a government into two distinct people and makes them greater strangers and more adverse to one another than if they were actually two different nations. The effects of such a division are pernicious to the last degree, not only with regard to those advantages which they give the common enemy, but to the private evils which they produce in the heart of almost every particular person. This influence is very fatal both to men's morals and their understandings. It sinks the virtue of a nation, and not only so, but destroys even common sense. A furious party spirit, when it rages in its full violence, exerts itself in civil war and bloodshed. And when it is under its greatest restraints, naturally breaks out in falsehood, detraction, calumny, and a partial administration of justice. In a word, it fills a nation with spleen and rancor and extinguishes all the seeds of good nature, compassion, and humanity. Wow. We are living that quote 223 years later. That's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing that those men 213 years ago are able to see that. The foresight they had was incredible. That's what in, in uh, one of the famous, um, I forget which paper it's from, but they talk about the madness of faction. That's exactly what they're referring to right there is the madness of faction. Um, I've, I, I find that to just be such a chilling quote when you think about how much we're living that level of division. And Joseph Addison was right. It destroys our common sense. It destroys our good nature. It makes everybody dishonest. We don't have rightful justice anymore. Look at the new Trump charges, right? I mean, it's like it's chilling how much we're living those words. Yeah, and it's funny too. He's just thinking, just a little quick moment on the Trump charges. These will not be the last charges. You know, these uh, these are just the first folly, and they're the most ridiculous, which is kind of emblematic of the entire process. But yeah, I think well Georgia, they're coming out with with charges, or they're trying to. They keep they keep trying to like, it's like really trying to put a square peg in a round hole. They keep trying to figure, okay, can we charge him if we do it this way? What if we do it this way? What if exactly. we go out like this? Exactly. And look how many chapters we've had. I mean, this is Stormy Daniels chapter two. They tried that pre-election as well with Michael Avenatti and all of that. Then we went through Russiagate and the Mueller investigation, 60 million in all of Trump's term. They found tax and perjury charges because there was nothing there other than these little bits and pieces they love to try to put together as a happy meal. Then we went through the Ukraine impeachment about a phone call to Ukraine, even though we have Joe Biden on video talking about leveraging a billion U.S. dollars to have a prosecutor fired, who was likely investigating his son, by the way. But yeah, not how is that? And then now we're embroiled in Ukraine in a, a, a multi-year war to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah. Now, we, and it was just revealed, you know, very conspicuously with these these leaks, the uh, the Ukrainian leaks from this 21 year old who was posting the stuff to Discord that we have American boots on the ground. You know, they're saying, oh, it's only a few, and it's it's only to guard the the embassy or what. Bullshit. I don't believe anything you people say anymore. Exactly. You know, if there's boots on the ground in Ukraine and there isn't a declaration of war. Joe Biden is, you know, guilty of potential war crimes and he should be impeached for it. But we, there's no political will for that. Nobody. We can't, you know, we can't even get media coverage of the prosecutor being fired. We're told that they right? fired that propaganda 101, man, that they fired the prosecutor because he was corrupt and they needed to install a good prosecutor. It's like, was he corrupt or was he investigating your son getting paid millions to sit on Burisma's board simply because you have his name? It's and, that and, reversal. Yeah, they they exactly. lie in 180 degrees in the, the opposite of the truth. And it blinds people. It's It really is like fucking casting a spell because is, when you is. lie in the exact opposite direction of the truth, when you completely reverse things 180 degrees, people try to look for the golden mean. They look to see, okay, well, maybe, you know, it's somewhere in between. And that always benefits the fucking liar. 
and it that, always works to the detriment of the truth teller. You're right. That That is right out of the KGB handbook, is you accuse the other side of that which you're doing. So the, yeah. the people who were pushing just overt racism called anti-racism, and they were telling us we were racist, right? And Donald Trump's being impeached for a phone call, but yet we have evidence that you used a billion to leverage the firing of this prosecutor. Why can't we even get media coverage on that? We can't even get yeah. questions asked, you know, Hunter's laptop and all that. But but going back to those charges, Brent, so we get through Russiagate, we get through a Ukraine impeachment, we have a 1-6 impeachment. Now we are at stormy charges, which I thought the whole story was told. The day after they brought the charges, every single Truman Show outlet was running pieces talking about how weak they were and how they were unlikely to stick. Well, if you're already talking about how weak they are the day after you brought them, we are in a banana republic. Like, why did you bring them if they're that weak, right? And we're already hearing that. Oh, but wait till you hear the Georgia ones. Well, wait till you hear the... Uh, the insurrection charges and it's just yeah, it's bullshit. Crazy. I don't believe you anymore. Like yeah. all of your credibility is gone. And that this is the thing that these people don't realize. They they are so well insulated in their little bubble that they think that we're all stupid and we believe they're bullshit. Yeah. And that's it's gonna it's gonna snap. I think so, too. I I, I, saw that with the 2016 election of Trump. That was one of the moments where reality sort of smacked right in. And that was the energy I was trying. I didn't speak it very well, but that's what I was trying to refer to about that Pennsylvania rally. It was that same energy, Brent. You saw it. Reality pushing back against the machine was what we saw on that field. And instead, we were told it was racist and white supremacist. I, I mean, Brent and I have firsthand experience of that sort of feeling. We were in D.C. on Jan 6th, and it very much had that sort of energy too like wow here's the silent majority like here here are those people who are hundreds of thousands of people just fed up they they don't they don't believe anything anymore about what they're being told from the you know mouthpieces of the state and that's what it comes down to like we went down there because we wanted to legitimately document talk to people document and find like why are you here and the general sentiment is they did not trust the results of that election i'm not saying it went either way or whatever i'm saying that was why they were there they did not trust it that that was why they were there and And how could you trust i mean particularly fast forward two years how can i trust anything i mean the washington post ran pieces saying we need higher long-lasting inflation the freaking Washington Post is running propaganda stuff telling us to yeah. ignore information from friends and family unless it comes from one of their, quote, experts. The Hunter Biden laptop yeah. lab leak was called racist by The New York Times top reporter. That montage Matt Taibbi put together on all the quotes of lab leak cover up or just complete suppression of that topic is jaw dropping. And yet a lot of people that I like on the center left, they won't watch the clip. They, they come up with an yeah. excuse on why that's just, you know, ugly anabaxers and white ringers and. And, and racist and stuff. And, oh, Taibbi's a Russian asset. I don't trust anything that he said. Brent, Brent was saying that, well, he had a solo channel before it got nuked on YouTube. He was saying that in February of 2020 on his channel, like, that guys, this looks like it was made in a lab and it probably got out or it was let out. Yeah, I made yeah. a bunch of Resident yeah. Evil jokes. Yep. I like, I mean, John Stewart, who I'm no fan of, but he rather famously said on Colbert's show, the greatest analogy ever is like, if we have a chocolate spill in Hershey, Pennsylvania, it probably came from the factory and not a penguin. Yeah. 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 I also I wonder sometimes I wonder now that he's he's kind of sort of gone like super woke and he has this oh, new yeah. show on Apple TV. And I'm wondering, did they like they got to him? Did they well did they like, you know, get to him? Did they slap him on the wrist? Were they like, now we need you to do this if you, you know, expect to be, you know, in this sphere or whatever? Good question. It, it was shortly after that, you know, it's very common sense, very straightforward. You know, very like, typical John Stewart, which we've, you know, I've come to expect, you know, I grew yeah. up with him. And now he's pushing the gender ideology. And now he's pushing the gender ideology. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, 
he ran a he ran a uh, his first like of that new show. The background of it was like it was like a why white people need to get better or something. That was like his backdrop for his new show. Fuck. Uh, yeah, he had um, I think it was the attorney general from Arkansas on, and they were one of the I think it was Arkansas, or maybe it was Mississippi. It was one of the first states to like ban or restrict gender transitions for minors. And he had her on and he would just like, he was just shredding her. And, and granted, the, the woman wasn't, you know, she's not like a media personality. She's like an attorney general. So she's like, you know, a lawyer or like, you know, used to being in that arena. He was just had these little zingers that, that were just such convolutions of truth. It really, it just, it irritated me. I had to make a video about it because I was so mad. But and it seems to strike against who he is, right? Or who he was just 12, 18 months ago. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we always had him wrong, right? I wrote a thread about that possible. the other day. It was titled, this is who these people always were. You know, yeah. Scam Harris came out with this thing, ripping people who did their own research and how dangerous it was that people did their own research. It's a threat to democracy. It's like, Scam, did you see the shit that you were platforming on your show, pal? Like, but where the danger, right? So I walked down this whole thread. This is who Kathy Young always was. This is who David French always was. This is, you know, walking down it all. And I wonder, is that who Jon Stewart always was? I don't know. Well, know. you know, he did sort of popularize that gotcha kind of political humor. Um, and while he, you know, you could say that he used it for the good. He used it to criticize the Bush regime, the war in Iraq. You know, he used it to fight for the survivors of of nine eleven. And so he did a lot of good work with it. But you know, it's like one of those things where he, you know, he sort of lived long enough to see yourself become the bad guy. And you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And it seems like you know he just either honestly believes the, the crap that he's spouting and that's why he's able to do it or they got to him or this was the person he always was that he was always supposed to create this sort of antagonistic foil that channeled the rage of the alternative community in order to keep oh. more people from popping up because that's basically what you know he did he kept me glued to the television i was watching the daily show religiously all throughout the george w bush era because i thought it was really funny yeah that was really well stated, man. You know, I, I wonder, I wonder how much when we see these, what I like to call Truman Show figures, how much we are seeing the real people and how much we're seeing a mandated act. You know, there's a saying, uh, not to drift off topic here, but there's a saying in Hollywood, wear the dress. And when you get far enough into our media, I'm sorry, our entertainment complex in America, you will be forced to wear the dress. And where the dress doesn't have a strict gender application, it means that you will be transformed to be a member of the machine or you won't be welcome in this sphere. And right. you see that very profoundly in, amazingly, the hip hop world. A lot of people aren't aware of the level to which hip hop artists are made to wear the dress. And in that case, we're talking about a lot of sexual activity. Uh, one of the most famous people in all the hip hop world, and I won't name drop because I don't need his goons at my house tonight, but he has had upcoming uh, rap artists come to his studio and give him blow jobs and has later told people he does that to establish the power structure. He wants that person to understand where their place is, and that is their way of making the, wearing the dress. And if they're going to become a famous hip hop artist, they're going to go through that process. It's a process of corruption and subservience. And so there's actually, there's some of that as well within the alternative independent political social commentary sphere as well that's yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people realize that it's not yeah. just like the mainstream it's it's this sphere that we're in too you know and we have a, a guest who we bring on often his name is basil and uh he's you know he's funny as hell he's just like base kind of 
radical. His views are really like they'll piss people off because he's Muslim, especially. He's like a gay Muslim, but so you could say whatever. he's like authoritarian, yeah, right? But he calls them take sellers. He says a lot of people are take sellers. They don't actually believe the takes that they're giving you. The point is to make a career out of the take, out of oh. selling it to you. And there's, you know, in this whole sphere, one of the things we talked about with him was that a, a lot of these similar favors happen where if you want to rise up the ladder and, and, you know, hang out with the cool kids and get on the best shows and talk to the more famous exactly. people, like there's, you know, things that happen behind closed doors that people do. In yeah, order to so back to the Jon Stewart sphere, I wonder, and I'm by, I wonder, I mean, I'm pretty certain there is a dynamic of where the dress within the news media as well. And I don't necessarily here mean sexual favors, but I mean, you will fall into the mold we want you to be, or you will not be welcome in this building. Yeah. And right. I wonder if that's how John Stewart ends up the John Stewart of today. There's not a greater example of that. I don't think than Stephen Colbert, Stephen Colbert was actually pretty like raw and funny at one point. Wasn't he? Remember when he was doing, he did the, uh, the white house correspondence dinner yes. with George W. Bush in the, uh, the facade of that. Yes. Character he did it was for, great. What was that show that he did right after he left? It was like, he had this like fake right wing pundit character, which was such an amazing satire and critique. And then it was like, you know, he got his own show, the Colbert show and he, you know, he was going to be himself. And now he's just, uh, you know, basically a herald for the establishment. Like, exactly. Now on his show, they're doing the vaccine where, you know, I felt like that one of those things. Dancing needles. Like, oh, yes, I felt like I was tripping on acid when I watched that as it came across. And it's just literally like subliminal pump your head to get you to take injections. And I'm like, what, man, this dude is a tentacle of the state. And I wonder, was he always a tentacle of the state? He didn't appear to be a 10 years ago. I don't think so. I think he was made to wear the dress. Yeah. I think this dynamic is very profound across our country. And if you think about it, that plugs into how Hollywood sports even and our media and our entertainment spheres, they are all have become this cogs of a social engineering apparatus. So mm -hmm. if we are going to create this social engineering apparatus that we're going to use to mold and control culture, we're going to have to establish some pretty severe gatekeeping. Otherwise, people are going to get in and be like, no, I don't want to do this cue wear the dress right and i'm convinced of this concept and i think it may apply in way more fields than we realize yes it's yeah well universal yeah well mm -hmm. it's probably it's probably very common especially when you get into those upper echelons of success and because you see it almost it like one of the uh eric weinstein is another one who i i feel like he's he tries to like play based, but really you can kind of see him always doing this like narrative management role, especially if, if you've ever been in spaces with him when he's talking about this kind of stuff. I think you're thinking more of his brother. No, I'm thinking of Eric, not Brett. I've never heard either of them speak actually. Well, maybe I've Brett, heard Brett speak. I think never Brett's heard Brett speak. I like Brett a lot. And I think Brett gives his honest, objective opinion as often as I hear it. Same with his wife, uh, Heather Hying. I like her a lot. Uh, I was confusing them. Sorry. Yeah, you got them confused. Yeah, I got them. So, yeah, no, so. Eric is the mathematician gotcha. who yes, was yes, yes, yes. MIT. Yeah, and brilliant dude. Now he's he like a, Peter Thiel. Didn't he like meet Epstein too a few times? And, yeah. yeah, there's yeah, there's something something yeah. along those lines. But it, he was just another one that I like. I was hearing him in in one of these spaces, I think it was about the Twitter files. And he was just doing this like abject apologia for like the security state. And I was just like, 
really? <laughs> like, this yeah. is so obvious to me, but... I've never I, thought of that before, uh, but now that you say that, Brent, you're right. And I like Eric a lot. I follow him. I think he's an absolutely brilliant mind, and I will give him some credit that he's been willing to speak on some fronts that either some others aren't, or he did it a little quicker, or maybe a better way to say it is he just has a large enough platform. I appreciate the fact he's willing to say the sensical, because sadly, a lot of people aren't. But you're right. Now that you say that, the vast majority of times he says something that could be considered controversial at those popular lunch tables. He makes sure he's he makes sure he qualifies it to make it clear he's not one of those ugly right wingers. You know? <laughs> one of my followers just posted something about that uh, earlier in the week or last week, and I retweeted it. That's my thing on Twitter. I love retweeting other people's replies. It's about the discourse, not me. And they made the point that that that's you see that all the time. You see this. I forget the, the terminology they use, but it's like a gift wrapping. It's like, I want to make this point, but I know making this point will make me unpopular with the moral. They won't let me sit and have lunch with them anymore. So I can only make this point if I create the lead of, well, I'm not a Trump guy or anything, but, you know, well, I don't agree with that, but it's like, just say what you want to say. But that goes back to how intense this coercive right. social pressure is in those spheres. And you're right. It manifests pretty strongly in Eric. He's afraid to alienate certain people. And as a result, what are you really doing to yourself, right? You're like neutering yourself, in my opinion. And I don't mean that directly to Eric. I just mean that's what that machine does to you. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to switch gears and talk about the gender shit. I mean, yeah, we'll get into the, it, space, anyway. the space that you had, I listened to it on my way back from Fire Island with Eva and Matt Osborne. We're probably going to have Matt Osborne on the show at some point down the line. Awesome. Um, and Donovan uh, Cleckley, uh, I, th I thought it was really interesting that he, actually his last name uh, is the same as Hervey Cleckley, who was one of the original researchers in the field of psychopathy. Uh, he did a lot of the original groundbreaking research with the uh, mentally disturbed uh, prisoners, and he he actually was the one who like kind of found the uh, coined the the terminology, got it into the DSM. Um, and and got, basically displayed the symptomology. So he's like the original guy. He was working in like the 30s and 40s huh, um, at the time, strictly with prisoners. Yeah, he wrote a really interesting book called The Caricature of Love, which is a uh, really in-depth analysis. It's how psychopaths sort of view the concept of love, which they, they can't experience. Um, but it, I just saw that Donovan had the same last name, and I was like, gee whiz, I wonder if he's related. Yeah, it's interesting. Donovan, uh, that was my first exposure to Donovan. I mean, I read a little bit of his work in the week coming up because I knew he was showing up. But prior to Matt telling me about Donovan, I, I had not crossed paths with him. And oh my goodness, did he blow me away on Saturday. That that brain has a lot of knowledge. He's done a lot of reading. I think was it Donovan or was it Matt who was talking about the cult that did the the, the genital and breast mutilation in like the ancient times? I forget who was, but that was a that's a fascinating piece of it. Matt's done a lot of tracing this back through religious themed movements, and man, it's uncanny how well that tracks to this. Yeah, James uh, Lindsay is also somebody who's been on like the Gnostic Hermeticist uh, yes. sort of like thread along with all of this weird gender bendingness. Yeah, and that was one that um, I, I commented one time that I don't just inherently believe everything James says, but it, yeah. it percolates up there. And sometimes after a while, a light bulb clicks on. And that was one of them. He was talking about the mm -hmm. kind of Gnostic mm -hmm. side of this mm -hmm. when I don't want to say it didn't make sense to me, but it just I don't know. 
I didn't gravitate towards it all that much, and I have now. That light bulb has fully Daniel, cooked on. Daniel and I studied Gnosticism like for like, for, like sure. in the past. Yeah, I mean, kind of, I, like, I an still interesting kind thread. of consider myself a hermeticist in many ways. So did so did it yeah. jump out at you that this gender ideology fits in that bucket? I think it fits in the bucket of people who think they're being mystical and spiritually enlightened people. It's a distortion. It's a completely misunderstand what all of that is all about. Like, I don't think a true hermeticist would get rid of the idea of men and women. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> it it's happen. too fundamental. Yeah, it's too Yeah, fundamental. whatever it is has yeah. been kind of perverted. Yeah, yeah, I appreciated that you listened to that um, space on Saturday. I was honored to be a part of it. Um, I was honored to share a floor with those three. They were, uh, I've looked up to Eva for a long time. That was the first time her and I chatted, but yeah, yeah her reputation. Her on, uh, we've had her on live streams and we had an, a formal episode. <laughs> I was joking with her today about us having babies and how cute they would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, she lived up to the billing. She's a rock star. Donovan blew me away. I mean, he's just a wealth of knowledge. And Matt, Matt and I have grown quite close. Uh, I'm, I'm really fascinated by him. His, his mind is just, uh, it's, it's there. It's got so much to offer. I'm so glad what the distance is doing. And as I've commented a couple of times, I thought what was most interesting about Saturday, I mean, the, the substance that came out was wonderful. And I hope we can continue pushing this needle in that direction through forms. And I don't mean my own. I mean, anybody who's helping spread this dialogue, because it is ultimately a challenge of, of spreading awareness. But one of the things I found so interesting on Saturday was the composition of the room. There I am on a panel hosted with LGB United, who shows up halfway through Jennifer Thomas, one of the top feminist activists in America, who's actively running street protests for free speech against this ideology. And 18 or 24 months ago, you know, I'm not sure the LGB United and one of the top feminist activists in America are on the same team with Theo Jordan. And yet this is such a threat. It's something that is unlocking across so many different camps of how fundamentally wrong and dangerous this is. It's, it's really cool to see how it's building bridges that didn't exist years, if not months ago. It tells an important story, I guess, is what I'm saying. Definitely. Well, it just shows that when you threaten the stability and sanity and health of children, people react because yeah. there's that is the it's it's like the deepest you know evolutionary instinct that we have as people is to protect kids because kids are literally the future of humanity they're the future society if they're damaged then the future is harmed it's What's also that? like the it's a species wide threat it's like the deepest form of evil you can think yeah, of yeah like the, uh, harm kids okay who could how could you go to a child and convince them that there's something wrong with their body because they're a little this or a little that like it's just so born, it's born in the wrong body. Can you imagine saying that to a child? So this is up. like I'm not sure if you're not. I don't know if you've heard, but there's been a bit of a sticker war happening up in Burlington, Vermont, because people have been going around posting these little stickers that say "No one's born in the wrong body." Defend women's oh, spaces, uh, stuff I like heard, this. I like that. <laughs> uh, I'll send you a link to this article I wrote about it. But the city is so incensed. Burlington is like a little, it's like they call it Little Kandahar, Stepford, Vermont. Yeah. The huh. cultural milieu there is so uniform. Yeah, it's like invasion of the body snatchers. It's very body snakes. Wow. Stepford wives. Uh, it's so weird. It's why like that one area? What drives it? Like, what, what's the factor that drives it in that spot? White guilt. White guilt. White guilt. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and wealth. I'm going to say middle class area, right? people. Yeah, it's, it's wealthy. Yeah. Um, it's very nice. It typically, well, it had low crime. Uh, the crime has been going up slowly over time. But these people, like, they freak out 
over the phrase, no one was born in the wrong body. They call it transphobic yeah. hate speech. It's, it's not an innocuous <laughs> thing to say. It's an innocuous statement obvious. of fact. <laughs> right, exactly. But see, that goes back to this, uh, this, this term I've been using over and over in the last couple of weeks, queer is political, because that's the moment yes. that we're living through. And yep. obviously, as you both know very well, queer has absolutely nothing to do with gay people or sexuality. Right. It has to do with an inversion. A, dis, a dismantling, a disruption, elevating the fringe and vilifying the middle. And queer is political ties in very well with what I talk about with the moral versus the monsters, because the, the way you got there is through that weaponized empathy, through that moral superiority, through that sense of we're saving the earth, we're ending racism, we're ending bigotry, we're saving children. So you all think they're like doing the right thing, but they've really been, I don't think this is a verb, but cultized. They've been turned into this blind cult of moral superiority and, and, and the term that binds it all together is solidarity. We have to have solidarity. So it's like, well, wait a minute, where do Black Lives Matter protests? I don't care about trans people. Well, yes, you have to have solidarity. So we're going to make the, the banner Black Trans Lives Matter, not Black Lives Matter. Yeah. It, that solidarity engine it has truly that become a cult. The ultimate minority right there, the Black Trans Lives Black Trans Lives Matter, They're right? But, yet, go, but go back to that time cover I've been posting the last week or two. That's in 2014, and they, re, they have a black transgender man on there dressed like a woman, basically showing America this is the new face of a black woman in America, and they refer to it on that time cover as the next civil rights frontier. Boom. Yeah, yeah it's sound to like the, these people are LARPing the civil rights movement. They're LARPing civil rights. They, they, they're also yeah. belaboring under this delusion that if we just grant them everything they're asking for, we'll usher in utopia without the conscious awareness that in history that's happened many times and it usually ends in bloody genocide and revolution work. because there's always people that are like, no, you're fucking crazy and exactly. you're not going to get your way. And then they, they, and we, we're kind of seeing the escalation of them reacting to that more and more outrageous, yeah. violent aggression. Yep. Yeah. Like what happened to Posey Parker or Audrey, what, what was it? Audrey Hale was the true shooter. And yeah, well, whatever. they're just still haven't released that manifesto. Gee whiz. Right. Like, in that, in that two week period, you know, like so many things happened. It was definitely a turning point, you know, yeah, Riley. Gaines. Well, Riley Gaines the was the last one. It was and Parker Posey. You, you're getting the order wrong. It was Parker Posey. Then it was the Troon shooting. Then it was Billboard Chris attack. Then it was Riley Gaines. I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's a series of events for sure. And if we if the manifesto had come out and we had seen inside the bowels of this individual's mind yes. to see why they attacked this Christian school, it was going to escalate that in a very bad direction for the Truman Show and those addicted to the moral versus the monsters who need that yep. to survive. So guess what happened in less than seven days? We went from talking about the Tennessee six to the Tennessee three. How right. about that, right? Buttered popcorn for all. It's incredible. Harris, yeah, like, like talk about sending her down there. Talk yep. about LARPing the night. CNN, MSNBC. Yep. Very I much. I know. You're right. saying that you're oh. saying that tra the transgender movement is is LARPing the civil rights movement, but simultaneously we have a live LARP of the civil rights movement going yep. on. So these yeah. these channels are both firing. Yeah, Jason Jason Pearson literally giving us a bad Justin Pearson. Justin Pearson yeah. giving us a, a just a terrible ML dollar store ML yes. person. Or it's so obvious too. Like it's just so obvious. It's I painful. Don't and and for some reason people gobble that up. I mean they that's the that's I, was pointing, I made a video comparing, you know, the the video that came out with him when he was in college to, you know, his little, yeah. uh, like, preacher speech. And people were rationalizing the preacher speak. Oh, he, he is Coach a preacher. Preaching. 
And that's the way that he talks, you know. That's yeah. that, that's just that's what the you well, know, that's Black Preacher. You're unfamiliar with Black Preacher dumb, well, aren't you? What <laughs> I will say is there there is a bit of like a, a way that a lot of those black preachers. Right, but okay, speak. but this is not but you're not in, it. That's this wasn't church. black. Yes. You're not in black no, church. You're in, in Congress. And, like, and if you listen to the cadence, it's like, no, you're not just doing a black preacher. Here. You're trying to do MLK. Uh, okay. It sounds so bad. You're, you're well, what? Here, here's here's kind of here's kind of the point of why it's so artificial. I showed that to my wife, who is not plugged into this stuff. She doesn't spend time on Twitter. She doesn't watch a lot of news and stuff. Smart and woman. I, yeah, I know shit. And I showed her the compare. The first video that came out before he did the gyrating performance the next day on the steps, yeah. he, there was a video that came out that just showed his speech that was on CNN versus that LinkedIn thing. Uh, and it was just staggering. And I went home and I showed it to my wife and it had absolutely no impact on her. And I wondered why, because it had such an impact on me. And I kind of probed her like, uh, so I don't forget what I said, but the point is I, I pulled more out of her and she's like, I don't get it. Like, why is that a big deal? It's just fake. Like, that's just fake. No one's supposed to. And I'm like, but that's the point is we're led to believe it's not fake. It's being pointed out all over CNN as if this is the next civil rights hero. So I guess my point is it was so freaking artificial. It didn't even register with her. She's like, that's meant to be fake. That's just a weird concept, isn't it? Like, yeah, it sums it all up to me. It didn't resonate with her because it was so not authentic. But yet we're being sold on it being authentic. Um, I, want, I, I had this thought come to head, and I want to share it with you before I, I lose track, because now in this last half hour, I'm higher prone to losing track. Um, <laughs> we're talking about pushing this stuff on kids. Like this is kind of going back to a minute ago. We we're saying telling kids um, they're, they're not born in their own body, this, that, and the other. So I'm having a conversation with a group of people from the center left the other day who I respect a lot. And on this topic, the majority of them agree that it's wrong. Uh, but are sort of unwilling to speak against it because I think they recognize the crumbling of the power structure that's going to occur once they push back against the leftist ideologues. But so anyways, I'm specifically talking about books and I'm showing some of the, you know, pornographic books that have come up and this, that, and the other. We're talking about the Anne Frank one. That was kind of a weird story too. And uh, where I'm going with this is multiple times what was hit back to me was, let's be honest, it was weaponized empathy. It was a sympathetic story about the poor treatment of gay kids. And I'm going to share the two specific stories because they're super short. One was, and these are personal anecdotes of the people I was speaking with, not made up stuff. One was a gay kid they know that was thrown out of their house by their parents because he came out. And he was thrown out so roughly and intensely he wasn't even allowed to take his clothes. And the other one was about in the city that that gentleman lives, he does work with the homeless shelter. And he happens to know that there's a decent amount of kids down there who are there because they were thrown out of their house for becoming out as gay to their parents, okay? So they hit me back with those stories at sort of the fevered pitch of this discourse we're having of like, don't you agree this shouldn't be in schools? Because they do agree it shouldn't be in schools. So they hit me back with those, those weaponized empathy, that heavy emotion, which really muddles the discourse and this, that, and the other. Whatever, I'm going to move on from their conversation now because the conversation ended, we went on. But I wrote a Substack piece about it that night called What is the Nexus? I think it's the top article on my Substack right now because a light bulb went off to me here. What is the Nexus? between telling children they're born in their own body, uh, seeding gender theory in elementary school, having pornographic books in school, telling kids to explore sexual kinks or how to masturbate, butt plugs, dildos. Those are all real things that have shown up in our public schools. What is the nexus between pushing that on children and those admittedly tragic home scenarios? And, and, and again, draw that string one more time. If we push those books in schools, if we tell children from a young age that there is no gender binary, boys can be girls, this, that, and the other, how does that change the kid who got thrown out without his clothes? What does that do for any of the gay kids in that shelter? 
My, the reason I kept using the word nexus is there's no nexus there. The problem with the gay kid getting thrown out without his clothes and the gay kids are in the shelter is a horrific problem. And it's one that is worthy of being addressed. But the proposed remedy here of pushing gender spirits and LGBTQ cult shit in elementary schools, there's no connection. And I was like blown away or bothered that people that are this moderate, this reasonable, this rational, that's where their brains were. I agree with what Theo's saying. I don't think dildos and butt plugs and masturbation should be in our schools, but don't you feel bad for that kid who got thrown out by his parents? I mean, yeah, I do, but how does the butt plug book help him? Like, do, do you agree it's a glaring like lack of nexus yeah. there? Oh yeah. And also like the the what they're doing They are arguing from a place of emotion too. You're absolutely. They're doing that and also they're like what they're plotting is more likely to harm that gay kid who yeah. got kicked out you know like of it's worse they're gonna add it you know you want to add on top of that the kid thinks he was born in the wrong body and now he needs medicalization and all that other stuff like and this is what they're doing to all our femme boys you know our, 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 I, I, I had a lot of gay boys. friends coming up you know my 20s that were very feminine and you know i loved them i wasn't attracted to them it wasn't my thing but you know i loved hanging out with them and i thought they were funny now to imagine them going through the change being trans because they were just a little feminine growing up and the the opposite happens to the the girls tomboys you bet we the have tomboys. a factory manufacturing tomboys into trans boys and medical and education this counseling. is con it's conversion therapy and we we understand <laughs> that conversion therapy is wrong at a at a you know psychological instinctual or psychological uh cognitive level and yet we go on and endorse it over here because oh her feels you know or oh the feels like we have to embrace the, the affirmation it's just why don't like, more people use that term that's a great way to frame it it is conversion therapy it literally yeah. is it's just it being used in you're, 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 you're hearing it mostly from the gender critical gays bi's and lesbians yes because yes. it's a topic that hits close to home yeah, yeah i mean i um last night i took some heat from uh, a follower and i won't name drop here again it's not about that but this person pounded me coming off the spaces saturday the panel that that we had because Jennifer Thomas had kind of espoused some, some kind of feminist doctrine on there, understandably. You know, that's a passionate cause of hers. And the, 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 per, the point this follower was making is that I really failed and showed my true colors because she made and she quoted a couple statements that Jenny said on the thing. And you didn't push back on that. You didn't push back on that at all. And I told her, by the way, that the way you're speaking to me is how bridges get burned and how progress gets halted. I said, I see a common threat and I am trying to unite with anyone that can help um, defeat that threat. But where I'm going with all of this is, think about what Jennifer Thomas's top cause is. What is it ultimately rooted in? What is it ultimately, uh, the core of it is protecting who? Women, women, right? And who is this ideology going to destroy the most? We're already seeing it, women. And it's Leah Thomas on the podium. It's penises in locker rooms. It's female scholarships going to men. This is yep. an ideology specifically designed to go out and destroy women's rights, spaces, titles, privacy, all that kind of stuff. So it's a duh, common sense, one plus one equals two, that a hardcore feminist would be hardcore against this. So you're absolutely right. That's why there's such a bridge building going on between people like myself and organizations like LGB United and why even someone like Jenny Thomas and I have now become friends and are, feel like we're working towards a common cause. We really are united by common interest. And it's easy to see why feminists would be on the front line of that. And in fact, it's bizarre 
because this movement sprouted from feminism and a lot of feminists are in the far left wing who are pushing it. And it's directly antithetical to feminist principles. It's so weird. We just talked about that in our last episode with with uh, Amy Souza. It's bizarro. I mean, it's, it's truly upside down world stuff there. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this is, this is the line, um, this is the line that's going to bring a lot of people together. And in fact, I, I'm 100% convinced that if we weren't under such intense Truman Show propaganda, this would have shattered a long time ago. Yeah. You know, it's only because so many people are being, A, led to believe it's righteous, and B, the ugly realities of it are being hidden from them, that they're able to be like, oh, yeah, I believe in trans rights. You don't want trans people to exist. It's like, my God, that's not the issue. Yeah, I did a uh, TikTok video the other day where I was like, there's no trans genocide, folks. Like, there's, there's right. just, it's not, it's not a thing. Oh, like, first of all, like what they're calling trans genocide is potentially stopping the medicalization of minors, where we say, gee whiz, maybe we should not allow these children to cut their boobs and their, their wee-wees off. Like, that's, that's what they're calling genocide, a trans genocide. I'm like, a genocide is when you go out and you target X people and you try to literally kill them all off that's not what this is and this is another thing that drives me nuts about the left or about you know i guess the truman show in general it's lies all the time about everything and it's the abuse of language such that they will cow they will fit a, a word into their their emotional language they'll 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 hamst- they'll, they'll pull it in and and make it fit when it doesn't and all you have to do is just be like wait that you're not using that word right that's not what that word means and you bet. the language games fueled a lot and they they truly are the tools of abusers uh somebody posted a parallel the other day about like the top 10 signs of domestic abuse like the tools used by domestic abusers, and it is the woke left. They use every one of them, the shame, all of them. It's the same controlling mechanisms. Basically, that's the entire thesis of Josh Locum's show, Disaffected. That is the thesis there, is that um, as in the home, so in society. And what we're seeing on the macro social level is the replication of the abuse dynamics of an abusive household with absolutely parents, the, the children. And that, yeah, I appreciate that, I appreciate Josh so much. He's such a smart guy. I need to. I, I never listen to any podcast. I shamely admit nobody's. It's not personal. I don't know why. I just never listen to audio stuff. Uh, and I need to plug into Josh's stuff because he's yeah. left Twitter pretty much entirely. And I've read some of his written work, but I know he does his best work with his voice. So I need to he's, make a commitment to start listening to him. He's genuine, and you know he. He doesn't really want to be doing this. You know, we, we, we were in Vermont a couple weeks ago, and I had, you know, I had a personal exchange with him, and and he said that to me, and I truly felt it and believed it. I'm like, yeah, and just knowing what he's like as a person too, and having met him a few times, and he's kind of reclusive. He likes to keep to himself. He's not like a social type of person. He doesn't want to be doing this. Yeah but it, it hits so close to home to him as someone who's had an abusive upbringing and has experienced those dynamics with his mother and stuff, which is why he talks about it all the time, that he he just can't not say anything. He just can't, his conscience won't allow him. And so he forces himself in front of that camera every week. He forces himself to look at the things happening in the world and to gather them up and to talk about it, even though he really deep down just wants to go hang out with his cat. And yeah, yeah, good point. You know what it is, Back to tying back earlier in our conversation, it's that spark connecting. Yeah. That pain hit him hard on his front porch through his cluster bomb. There's a fire in that guy, man. Absolutely, sure. and, yeah. and it comes from feeling the hurt directly. He understands what's going on here because he's seen in the face of the beast, right? That's yes. sparkling for him and i think that's why 
you know, such important voices right now are those who can push against the moral versus the monsters casting. Perhaps yeah. the most important voices in our country right now are detransitioners. And that's why detransitioners are having such a difficult time getting their voice out, of course, because the yeah. suppressive propaganda environment we're under is that strong. 60 Minutes did a piece on detrans, I don't know, six months or a year ago. We live in dog years now. I don't even know what time it is anymore. <laughs> but uh, they did a 60 Minutes piece on detrans. And the next day, the entire uh, sanctimonious left on Twitter melted down of how horrible it was that they were platforming transphobes and this, that, and the other. And I thought to myself, wow, how incredible that we are pummeled in every direction, both across media, as well as culturally, institutionally, entertainment sphere, everything, with all this pro-trans propaganda. But God forbid you one run one true expose, words of actual D-trans on 60 Minutes, and it's like the world's melting down. Why are you platforming this evil? Really goes to show the problem. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they're, they're hurt people too, man. They've been through a lot. They've been traumatized. Some of them probably have some, you know, personality disorders from it too. A lot of them actually, and and it's just it's it's confusing for the for them too to navigate this current sphere because sure. it's hard for them to trust. It's hard for them to tell, like, am I just being used as a political prop, you know, on the right? And then when they leave the trans stuff, the left disowns them completely yes oh so, and plus a lot of them are still in the process of healing and then they get kind of thrust into that social commentary sphere when they decide to tell their story when they might not be ready to deal with what comes as a result of that yeah very well said that's a that's a lonely place to be that's a very lonely place to be their voices are so damn important right now because it shows the reality of this situation it pulls us out of the propaganda and says you know all that self-righteous shit you're getting pumped up with this is what it actually looks this like is the reality yeah. jazz jennings is the best case study we have because she's been destroyed in front of all of us and we're supposed to celebrate it like a tv show yay yeah. still celebrate Celebrating it, yeah, He's going around that poor as, child. as if what happened to him was correct and not abuse. Like, no, that that was abuse. Yeah, the, the, there was that clip not too long ago where his mother was like, you know, went viral where she was like, "If I have to, you know, stick this dilator in you, yeah. I will." I'm like, yeah, that's I saw that literally yeah. threatening to sexually abuse yeah. your child, which Tim also Tim. made which also made the Munchausen by proxy jump out big, didn't it? In that clip, I did, I mean, really. that's all about that mom, man. Again, Jazz is convinced that it was the correct thing and it wasn't abuse and who knows maybe years from now that'll change jazz know. will have his tell-all story and presuming you know he survives i don't know yeah, i mean jazz didn't wasn't given a choice i believe uh, yeah. matt osborne told me uh they put yeah. him on puberty blockers it, yep. it was either eight or ten it's documented uh jazz was never good there was an individual uh on our spaces over the weekend uh i, I, I pronounce this word terribly but exus lancic i believe was the twitter handle uh it's somebody uh that matt osborne had told me about i don't know if it um, if she's part of the distance team or not, quite possibly. But anyhow, that is her passion, is analyzing the Jazz Jennings situation. And in fact, I guess on, I don't know where to find her. I, I wish I did. Uh, but she takes each one of those episodes and really analyzes them, kind of like Josh Slocum does, sort mm -hmm. of a psychoanalysis of what's going on here. I'm actually really excited to hopefully do something more with her in the future. It sounds like she's doing some good work on helping wake people up. And she came and spoke Saturday, offered some things. And then um, when I played back the recording, I realized I kind of talked over and didn't give her as much of a form as I wish she had had. But it's interesting. I want to dive into that more because I feel like Jazz yeah. Jennings um, is important to this all. And we Absolutely. need to... It's, you had someone, a minor, who's transitioned it's on case, television. It's a case study that a lot of people are familiar with because of the publicity. Yeah. So Exactly, exactly. I need to plunge into Exus Lancic's work more. It yeah. sounds like she's doing some important stuff. You know, going back to the abuse thing real quick, did you guys ever see that video? Um, somebody did 
It was a young lady uh, who was involved with a child sexual abuse organization. And she had taken a material from her organization that was about how to identify sexual predation going on within family spheres. And it was like a top 10 signs that there, it was basically, I think it was top 10 tools that those predators use to sexually abuse children. And it was things like isolation, privacy, telling them not to tell anybody, that kind of thing. They are your new family, this, that, and the other. But what they did at the video is they read number one, and then they played a clip of Jeffrey Marsh. And then they read number two and played a clip of Jesse Mart. And oh my God, it was bone chilling. Every clip was him deploying that technique just Groomer. as clear Groomer. as you could see it. Yep. Yeah. Groomer. Grooming and sexually abusing. I mean, maybe you could take sexual out, but the point is that was a tool belt of child sexual abusers. And Jeffrey Marsh is using every one of those tools for his grooming campaign. And in the Truman Show, which sadly is our society, we are told that Jeffrey Marsh is righteous. And in fact, if you went on Twitter today and called Jeffrey Marsh a dude, you could be silenced. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing is not terrible. Well, we I think we've, we're hitting up two hours. I know you have time constraints, so why don't we wrap it up here? This was a long one. We will definitely have Mr. Theo back again because yeah, these I would love to. must be ongoing. It. And maybe we can even do, you know, like a live stream at some point. We'll have a bunch of people. Yeah, we, we like to gather the round table. I wanted to do more live streams on Rumble because Rumble is a open platform where we don't have to self-censor. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like Dang. that. I saw this live red ticker up there. I didn't know if we were live to the world or not. I assumed we no, were. No, I'm recording. That's just, oh, okay, that's fine. I didn't for the first half, and then I saw that eventually, and I'm like, oh, shit, we've been live this whole time. Like, no, how bad did I trash it? What we do is we, we like live premiere them, but they're pre-recorded episodes. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Well, this was a lot of fun, man. I um, I, Again, I, I have great respect for both of you. I think uh, when I was talking about important voices, D-trans are super important voices, and so are yours right now. The ability to speak out against, I don't know, the grain, if you will, the moral versus the monsters casting. I mean, there's there's a reason these energies are forming where they are, and I find your guys' voices really important. So keep chopping, man. Keep doing Thank what you're you. doing. And we'll do. if we all do, I do think it's good. If we keep doing what we're doing, I'm convinced it's going to make a difference. The feeling is mutual. Um, you're an incredibly eloquent and well-spoken man. You're, you clearly you. love your threads. You're very intelligent, and we appreciate your voice as well. I got your, I got the Twitter up. You guys can follow Theo at Theo underscore TJ underscore Jordan on Twitter. He's got his Substack at yeah. theojordan.substack.com. And if you're ever in New York City, hit us up. Um, also, I'm going to drop a link to this Twitter spaces because uh, I thought it was, it was a really good conversation. I'll drop the link in the description. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to hear Theo and Matt Osborne and Eva and Donovan Cleckley discuss this gender Ben craze and a lot of historical perspectives. Again, they had that uh, the feminist woman come in. You had a lot of like random people just sort of show up and jump in. It was like a three-hour conversation. It was very good, very interesting. Yeah, Highly encourage you. everybody to check that out. Well, if you stuck with us for two hours, thank you for watching. Thanks Remember, for watching. Don't like, forget. comment, share, subscribe. Donate if you want to help us keep doing this because we are broke grifters and help us grift. <laughs> yeah. Far right streamers. Ultra MAGA. Ultra, ultra, ultra extreme MAGA. Dark MAGA, man. I'm, just, I'm just embracing it now. They call me a far right streamer. Okay. A fine. transition yeah. happened to me with anti vaxxer. I got called anti vaxxer yeah. so many fucking times that I yeah. finally made an anti vaxxer shirt yeah. and I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to, I don't actually well, have that's, shirt, that's where our title sort of comes from, too, is when we first started speaking out, people would say, that's dangerous rhetoric. You can't say that. <laughs> 
I'm like, that's that's gonna be the show. And that's the name of the show. Not telling uh, boys and girls they have gender spirits is dangerous rhetoric. Don't you guys ever? Yeah. Hey, you guys are awesome. Let's do this again sometime. We will stay safe. All right, guys. Take care, everyone. Bye.